the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. First hour of the Power Panel is convened. Thank you guys for coming. Pleasure to be here. We got Mr. Hopper here. Hey, everybody. From Sonny's. Good to have him here. We have Mr. Carl Kimball from uh, Chanel Insurance who joins us today in the studio. Thanks for inviting me, Dave. And then over on the far right, (laughs) in more ways than one, uh, Paul Calvert is with us today. Thank you, Paul, for coming in. Uh, Jan Morgan wanted to tell you that she wants to be here, but there was an emergency. Her sister couldn't take her her mom to the doctor down in Texarkana, so... Mm -hmm. Jan had to drive down from Hot Springs to there and take care of her mom. And I told her, more important that you take care of your mother than you show up here for my show. So uh, she'll be back with us next week. We'll see her there. Carl. Hi, Dave. He's going to do his best (laughs) to fill in for Jan. That's he, I won't say he, big shoes. I'll just say an important position. He, he wrote. He rode in on his motorcycle. Is oh, that did right? you really? No, we, actually, I cru- <laughs> cruised in on the Genesis today. Yeah, I. You have That's got to take nice me for car. a wall, a wall, a, a ride in that uh, in that car. Yeah, it's pretty comfy. There is good retirement car for an old man. You what know? do you? What do you compare that car to? Can't compare it to anything I've had. It's certainly I, I still love driving the Crossfire, but a, boy, on a long trip, it's, it's sure it's a lot Lexus. easier. It's basically a Lexus. Is it? It's, it's, a, it's a Lexus. It's, it's a, a Genesis is equal to a Lexus or a Infinity. Something it's, like it's, that. It's, yeah. it's Hyundai's Lexus. Honey. It sure is. Okay, because people don't All realize that when you look at a Honda, what's the uh, Acura? Acura. Yeah, I mean, they all have one of the Detroit big boys behind them. Now, Honda's not a Detroit big boy. They're a Tokyo big boy, but what right. I say? Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically a foreign Mercedes-Benz. And uh, in my opinion, I don't speak German real well, so uh, <laughs> I own German cars, and, and I have a problem communicating with them sometimes. So, I like uh, my little half-German Crossfire. It's yeah. fun, too. And then, yeah. you, know, you know, Carl's got this car that uh, is, you know, basically a hyundai so you're you're not having to pay the big import tax on that one well a little i a got little mine bit. mine second hand so okay I, that's okay, all so been, I want that's you all to talk been paid about by this. the first owner now let's talk about this because you did your buying of your car in a unique way if you've been watching television you've seen this company that you buy from and uh they'll bring they they Typically, Carl, of course, is an atypical person. Oh yeah, and I so live he in went. Rock. He went and got his own car, but typically they'll deliver the car to you. What is it? it uh, they they will they will deliver caravan or something like Carvana. That? Yeah, Carvana. They, they, they'll it. deliver it to you, but 
it turns out that if you live in Little Rock, they charge you 400 bucks extra to deliver it to Uh-oh. you. Because it's off the but, main drag. Yeah, but if you go, but, but if you go, because they got a center in, in Memphis. So if you go to Brinkley, you don't have to pay the 400 bucks. So I said, okay, for Brink, for 400 bucks, I'll drive to Brinkley and get it. So. But it, it's worked out so far. But I, I, told, I told them I would not recommend them until I got the title. And it's been, I think, not quite 30 days since I paid off my loan with them. So, uh, and when I get the title, then I'll start recommending them favorably, assuming I get it in short order and in good condition. <laughs> and that it's clean. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But everything, everything so far has been so good. Okay. So, you, and you enjoy the car? The car was in good oh, shape yeah. and everything? Oh, yeah. It's like new. No problem. It's like like new. How many how many miles did it have? It had forty two thousand on it when I got it, which I figure that's about twenty percent used up. But that's I got about it. enough to but break I, it in. Yeah, it's about twenty percent used up, but I figure I got it for sixty percent of the list price, so I think I got a good deal on it. I had something happen to me that we've I've talked to Joe on the show before, and you know how everything has to be identified on the car to the mm-hmm. computer, and that you can get it mixed up. Mixed up. Well, it came on my dash yesterday, right front tire low. So I went over and I got my little in uh, pump, you know, put it on, starts it, turns off. Take out my trusty little tester and put it on the uh, the thing there on the tire, and it says thirty nine pounds. And I go, wait a second. On the thing, it says, it says 21 pounds on the dash. It had, it was the right front tire on Bad my dash. tire pressure sensor. Left, yes, left rear tire. When they identified the tire sensors oh. on the car, they, they got them mixed reversed up. Them. Yes, mm. they got them mixed up. So, you know, I'm, I'm not so stupid that I would fill my car up. That tire, keep filling it up until it's like nine times as big as it's supposed to be. You know, this real big tire. I'm, that's how I didn't All of a sudden, do that. You have a, hear a big boom. Yeah, you know, I happened to I happened to look to the back and it looked a little low. And I went back and I start put on the the inflator on it and sure enough, it took me about ten minutes because my my machine is not that powerful that it blows the you know air pressure in there like that. So. No, it's fine. I'm 35 pounds every tire. Better no. to happen to your car than your airplane. That's one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's one thing I can do now I could never do before is I just you know, hit a couple buttons while I'm driving down the road, and I can check what the tire pressure is on all four tires. I just push yeah. one button on my, my dash, and it'll yeah. tell me that. That's pretty amazing. I, I like that on my car. The other thing I really like on the car is it keeps track of, depending on how you drive, when you should change your oil. Sometimes yeah. it's 3,000 miles. Sometimes it's about 4,000 miles. But I always change it when it hits 30%. Mm. But I, I got the 30-day warning today, so I'll be off to see Joe next month. Yeah. yeah I, get it serviced. And then he'll he'll look and he'll say, well, we just put new tires on it, so next next oil change will will rotate. You know, So I rotate my tires and all that. Try to keep it. Save your money. Going. But just let you know. You know, 
You, if you, rota- you, if you rotate, if you work your, on it, have to make if sure. If you rotate that, your tires, this is this is a hint for poor people because I used to be one for an awful long time. If you rotate your tires and they all wear out at once, you got to buy four tires at once. If you don't rotate them, you can replace them one at a time, <laughs> and it's a lot easier for poor folks like I was most of my life. Yeah, man, I've been. I'm still poor folks. <laughs> be honest, but, but you only get about what thirty percent of the life out of them if you don't rotate them. Eh, depends. And it depends on do. You, you know, Joe made, he did like 20 minutes a couple Wednesdays ago about buying tires. And he said, if you want a soft ride, you get one that's got soft rubber. Now, you can only do that if you don't drive a lot of miles. If you drive a lot of miles, you're going to want a tire that's made out of harder rubber so you get longer mileage out of it. And he said, I have a, a customer comes in and wants to change her tires every year and a half and i showed her that that wasn't necessary she drove under eighteen thousand miles a year it takes a long time to get to forty thousand miles if you're doing like 18 you know you're going three almost four years you know my wife dave she she drives such low mileage that her tires get old and hard and have to be replaced for get dry rot before she before she wears the tread seven years now they'll tell you if you're if your tires are seven years old or older, yeah, Joe's given me that lecture. <laughs> you need to change them now because dry rot. See, I always thought dry rot set in if you weren't using the tires. If you're using tires, they flex and they stay good. But Not if they're true. Sit, if they're sitting outside in the weather year after year, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know, so the way my wife drives, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> she, she wears them out long. Before. Are you talking? Oh, she yeah. drives fast. Is that what you're saying? Uh, she yeah. just drives a lot of Takes miles. Takes off quick, stops quick, corners quick. Okay, so now you're talking about not only tires but brakes. She, she'd enjoy oh, having a crossfire. Uh, oh yeah, she yeah she would like yeah. I don't let her drive my Porsche very often. If I'm, if I'm, in, the, if I'm in the crossfire, they, you know, that's the only reason I've got it, so I can take off quick and stop quick. And you have a Porsche? So. Yeah, I have a I have a 04911 SC Carrera. That's nice. kind of my motorcycle type of thing, except... You know, I don't ride motorcycles on the street. Is it, is so. it a turbo? No, it's a, just it's a Carrera C4S all-wheel drive, but it's not a turbo. Nice. Turbo kind of increases the maintenance. Oh, yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, Does it increase nice. the uh, car insurance, too? Yes. Since it's yes, a turbo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, mine will only run 175. There you go. Yeah. What does the turbo No do? problem. The turbo, it'll, it'll be a 200-mile-an-hour car with a turbo on it. How many, how Gosh, many extra horsepower does like it take to do that last 25? And you could, you got like zero to 60 in three, two seconds, non-turbo, and you know you might get there in two, nine with, with a, turbo. a turbo. So, yeah, mm-hmm. make a couple of seconds difference. So. Now, that would work <laughs> at Highway 5 and 89. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> he understands what I'm talking about. That's man. a post where you live. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but there's, right a merge, there, people, there's a merge it, zone there that you have to merge in the left the lane. Hill from uh, that intersection four lanes go into two yeah and everybody wants to be the number one it's a drag race every day on the way home it's a drag it really race is. every day on the way home it really is mm-hmm. yeah it's it's funny i scared a young lady the other day she was over in the left lane and i was on the right lane and i'm i not speeding up or anything i'm doing the speed that i'm doing and she's pulling up and she's trying to pull up and pull up 
and she speeds up and gets right next to me and looks up and realizes she's running out of road. real estate. So yeah. She starts hitting her horn, and I just slowly turn my head. The That's the way they do it in my Mexico, head. Dave. <laughs> I just turned my head and looked at her, and I'm not taking Your my, lane's I, not running I'm out, on, is it? No, I'm sitting there, and I got my lane's <laughs> up there, and... So she she flipped me her IQ and <laughs> and and <laughs> she was a socialist. She was a socialist. She uh, wanted to blame you for the situation that she was in. That's true. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's very that's, good. Like you know, that. that's how they do in Mexico when two cars come up to an intersection. Whoever hits her horn first has the right of way, really? assuming the other guy gives it to him. Well, I think it's funny. Is that bigger. A yeah. lot of people don't realize how you're supposed to use a chicken lane. I mean, when you have that third turn lane in there, mm. and we always called it a chicken lane because I always call it the suicide lane. Somebody might be turning left, and you're trying to maybe uh, turn to the. You're wanting to turn left. left. They're wanting to turn left, right. and they get in it in the middle of the the road, a half a mile away from their turn. That happens to me about four or five times a week, Dave, right in front of my office. Really, I I'll, refuse. I'll be, sit, I'll be sitting in that suicide lane with one hand on the wheel and one hand on the horn <laughs> and just waiting for someone to pop out 300 feet down the road mm. into that lane trying to turn in the intersection right behind me. Mm. Oh, that's the least favorite part of the whole week for me. And then you have people Makes that your heart rate go up. Uh, huh? Then you have people that use it as a merge lane, so you can't even use it for the turn lane. Yeah, that's, that's a the thing. For. Yeah, people yeah. come flying out of the off the side street and mm-hmm. go into the turn lane. And you're trying and to use then, it as a... And then yeah. kick it in, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's not a merge lane. It is a turn lane. No, it is a turn lane. That's all it is. But it is called a chicken lane for <laughs> who's going to chicken out first. I, I, I had not heard the idea where someone flipped either IQ. That is, <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Dave. Yeah, yeah, I'll remember that. It's either that or their sperm count. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's the ones um, you can remember. All right, let's take a break. We've got the power panel here. We got a lot of things to talk about. Gallup has just released a poll today four in ten americans now embrace socialism god help us let's all talk about that when we come back those are the ones who admitted yeah let's talk about that when we come back here on the dave ellswick show well if you've ever wondered how other people get away with paying fewer taxes than you or everybody else in fact then uh, there's a way you can learn the little-known strategies that can help you save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes with a free tax reduction analysis from David Lucas of uh, David Lucas Financial. He's the host of the David Lucas Show. Hear that here every Saturday at 10 and 3 p.m. at 101.1 FM, The Answer. The free analysis reveals the little-known strategies and loopholes that could help you save thousands of dollars in taxes. Give you one of the little keys here. Pay the taxes now up front because money is cheap. If the Democrats really get in control again, money won't be as cheap as it is right now when you start paying on the money that you've saved. So you want to know how to get the most out of your IRA, your 401k, your Social Security benefits, and more? Then make sure you get one of these tax reduction analysis done. To uh, get your free Analysis, be one of the first 10 callers right now, 501-653-6690. 501-653-6690. Find out how you can save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes in retirement 
with David Lucas of David Lucas Financial. Number again, 501-653-6690. All right, here's what Gallup found. Four in ten Americans embrace socialism. The big-time breakdown is 51% think socialism would be a bad thing for the country, while 43% believe it would be a good thing. That doesn't, oh, yeah. su- that doesn't surprise me, though, when you look at the stuff that, you know, uh, AOC and Warren and you just about pick any one of the Democrats running for president, and they're so far to the left from capitalism, it's amazing to me. And millennials buy into all of this. They really do believe that the government should pay for um, their college. I don't get that either, but they believe it. Well, I, I get it because the fact is they, they, were, they went to government schools when they were little kids and they started off in kindergarten or maybe even preschool and the government was paying for it then. Why shouldn't the government keep paying for it after they go to college? I mean, it's, it's, just, a, it's, a, it's just a continuation of what they were accustomed to. Dave, I, I don't disagree with a single thing you or Paul said, but I, I'd like to think, and I, I've got no scientific reason to believe it, but I'd like to think that those numbers and that poll, like so many polls, don't really reflect the true percentages. Because when those Harris poll guys call some hardcore, crusty, old conservative capitalist like me, I, I just think, hang up. I, on. I think the hell with them, and I don't answer. If I was if I was some useless millennial with nothing to do in life except sit around waiting for somebody to give me something, I might answer the phone and and take their dang survey. So I, I think that I think that those polls are prejudiced against hardworking conservative people anyway because we got better things to do with our life than talk to pollsters so i'd like to believe that that number is exaggerated but there's no question that the number is frighteningly large compared to when you and i were young when you and i voted in our first election george mcgovern uh, in, had suggested giving a thousand dollars to every American family, and that made him such a wild-eyed, crazy socialist that he couldn't carry two states in the election against someone as odious as Richard Nixon. Now that would now that would be a, a stingy. Greedy little uh, punk. Yeah. If he were Republican, to now, do it. Now, I mean, now, now, now Republicans will, will, yeah, now will promise Al- far Alexandria more than that. Ocasio Cortez Green New Deal wants to promise a living wage to every American, including those who are unable or unwilling to work. Yeah, Booker well, has said that as has Warren <laughs> as well. So, so is this living wage going to 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 be the like the the communist standard, like in China or Korea or well, or Russia? Where, well, they don't. Basically Realize or basically, you, you you might get the equivalent of of, of fifteen hundred calories a day. Yeah, it's not well, the, it's not going to be what the average American enjoys today. I guarantee you that. Well, they don't understand what socialism really is. They haven't studied history, uh, and the what we're talking about is more Marxism. Than anything, because in true socialism, there's not an overbearing government. Everybody just shares, and everybody trades. Except that human nature doesn't allow it to work. Exactly. It's 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 like rainbows and unicorns and all this pie in the sky. 
idea that will never happen because it turns into Marxism. It turns into there's a group of people that you're going to give us everything that you have, and then we're going to decide what everybody deserves and what everybody else should have. We're going to keep a certain percentage of it, and we're going to to put it out to everybody the way we see fit to who who, who uh, yeah, needs it. And before right, you, and before you know it, you, you've got fascism. You've got the government controlling all the businesses you got government controlling all the markets and the, all the prices and you got government deciding who goes to school and don't go to school you got dis- and, government and, and deciding and who lives and who dies exactly and, and you talk about rainbows and unicorns 10 seconds that's why they want to lower the voting age to 16 they need more unicorn believers on the voting rolls all right hold your thoughts we'll come back we'll talk further about it we got our first one minute news break coming up and then we'll come back and talk more about socialism on the dave ellswick show it's for all of you uh socialists out there love is but a song we sing fears we will die Can make the mountains ring or make the angels cry. Though the bird is on the wing, and you may not know why. Come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together. Now, that's not literal. It's figuratively. All right, we're going to let that go. Okay, cut it off so we don't have to pay any money on that song. Right. I love that song, and I love the sentiments that it preaches because I think that's the way we all should be in our individual uh, Volun- relations with one another voluntarily yes voluntarily, yeah. voluntarily. all people are Jesus created didn't equal. call upon us to have the instruments of government rob our fellow citizens to give to the poor he told us to give it's to not the poor charity no you know if, if, it's you an individual obligation you remember yeah. there's a there was a place i think it was king david maybe before he was king he was going to to sacrifice to god um some i think it was a an ox and but the, the fellow who owned it offered to give it to David, and David said, "No, I won't. I won't sacrifice something to God that didn't cost me anything." And I think that's the nature of charity: is that it ain't charity if you didn't pay for it. And it's not love if the government forces you to do it. Right? It's not. And that's that's, that's kind of the point: is that you know it ain't charity if you if you force someone. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> Have you heard the socialism about socialism? You have two cows and the state takes one and gives one to someone else. That's socialism. Communism, you have two cows and the state takes both of them and gives you milk. Fascism, you have two cows, the state takes both of them and sells you milk. (laughs) And capitalism, you have two cows, you sell one and buy a bull. Right. (laughs) (laughs) To make more cows. Yeah, that's exactly right. So which one has worked in history the best. Yeah, there's not much question about that. Well, it might, it might depend on what your what your um, uh, definition of success is. 
Yeah, if if you if you have nothing and you've put forth absolutely no effort, then you'd like someone to maybe, share their cow maybe, with you, or, or maybe maybe that. And also, you know, if you think the world is overpopulated, you might support communism and socialism too, because there's kind of a history during the last century of socialism and communism um, reducing the population by killing hordes and hordes of people. Oh, right, yeah. because you're enemy. If you say something against the government, you're an enemy of the state. If you are creative and you somehow end up with a cow and a bull, and you start a herd, and you become and you become better than your neighbor because he wasn't that didn't have the initiative, then you're also an enemy of the state. Well, I mean, or and, and you don't you, have the freedom of speech. And if you speak against the state, it's like the, the thing is though. So. So you, you got kind of have to remember, though, that to, to be a good socialist, you need to recognize that everything you own actually belongs to the God. And you need to recognize that the government is the God. That's and, what and people so, want. And, and so that's that's kind of what, what it takes is that so many people basically believe that government is God and therefore you must obey them. And and, and on some level, in some, some places, it's almost like blasphemy to speak against the government. You know, Dave, I always love listening to your show and Paul Calvert's on it. I listen to him go, why don't you get some morals? Why don't you read the Bible? Why don't you do the right thing for a change? And I think, man, if I said something like that, I'd be just some old coot that wasn't in touch with the younger generation anymore. I'm a millennial. Paul is the voice of righteousness, God Almighty's prophet on earth, telling us to read the Bible, get some morality, do the right thing for a change. That's what we've been called on to do since we came out of the swamp, practically. And this is what Are it's you sure that's do. what he is, Carl? Now, yeah, well, that's the way I see him. <laughs> the Bible also says if you don't work, you don't eat. So I would suggest it, you it get a job. In Second Thessalonians, it tells you that very thing exactly. Well, and, and it was more directed towards preachers than it was and, just and, uh, and average the, person. This, this country, it still applies. Yeah, well, I'm not saying it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. There, there, there's no question that this country was founded by Protestant Christians who brought the so-called Protestant work ethic and Protestant values. Now, that's not Pilgrims? to say that uh, in the Pilgrims, the Puritans, and, <laughs> and, and the Calvinists, and all the, really and the Episcopalians, and all really the rest exist? of them. But the thing is that, that they represented a change in, in the thinking of Western civilization, and it was a new burgeoning era of personal liberty that was developed in Europe and brought to this country and nurtured here in the perfect environment for it. And, and we had God's blessing as a country because we were a country that gave liberty to individual people. And you, all you got to do is look at any socialist country in the world. Look at Greece. Look at Venezuela. Look at Nicaragua. Look at Cuba. And you'll see what taking away the individual rights and individual uh, ability to own property. And this is a big part of it is that, that under the uh, Protestant Reformation, you have a bourgeois class that comes up that's able through their own efforts, their own genius, and their own toil and sweat to build up private 
property that enabled them to have a freedom from church and state that the people of the Middle Ages and earlier times did not normally enjoy. Correct. And because of these private property rights and these ideas that were brought from Europe to the colonies that became the United States, we were founded on and based on and had a civilization that was based on individual liberty, private ownership of property, laws that did not put the king above the average citizen. As long as we had that, we had continuing growth and prosperity. With socialism, you lose all that. You lose the right to your own property. You you lose the right to be equal before the law with any citizen, including the rulers. Uh, those uh, people like Bernie Sanders and Al Gore and all these leftists that want us for our own good and the good of the country to sacrifice our personal property and our rights to the greater good of carbon footprints. That doesn't apply to any of them. You notice that Ocasio-Cortez is not going to do without a armored SUV to ride around to her appointments locally in or a private jet to fly where she, she wants she's gonna to She's going to ride a bicycle, isn't she? Not her. She's going to get a private jet to go visit her relatives in Puerto Rico, and but she, she'll ride she, around in an armored car. She's going to have. She's going to. She's going to have one of those um, foot pedaled pl- private jets, right? Yeah. She's going to pedal. Right. No, she's going to have a. She's going to have a <laughs> kind private. Like one of those Leonardo da Vinci machines there, right? She's going to have a private jet paid for by an insurance company or some oh. other socialist group that they're in cahoots with or our taxpayers' money because she's not going to have a private job in a capitalist system. All the people like no, her... No, she's already talking about running for mayor of New York now. Oh, is that right? Uh, well, you know, she could probably they, they, much more easily screw up the lives of a million New Yorkers than she could the United States. She's one of 435 voices in Congress, and she's such a whack job that I've got to think that a lot of the Democrats are keeping her at arm's length because the more they're associated with her, the less their long-term electoral chances of success are. And if they do have any success, it'll be to the detriment of the country. So, yeah, you know, New York may be whacked out enough to elect her, but I kind of doubt it. And New York City might deserve her. Yeah, might. Well, if they're going to elect de Blasio. Again, de Blasio, they deserve whatever comes their did way. You, did you see the New York Post front page that had de Blasio runs for president and all the people laughing? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and he's the only, he is the only one running that has negative numbers. Yeah. Negative. Negative, negative numbers. numbers. Negative. negative. Well, they say the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of somebody else's money. Margaret Thatcher said. Yes, yeah. she was right. Thank, thank you, Lady Thatcher. She was one of the best. Okay, so when we come back, finish this up for me, uh, Paul, because I know you follow the news. Okay. Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson faced harsh criticism from Democrats today as he fielded questions at a Capitol Hill hearing on a proposed rule change that would strip what? No, I don't know. I haven't heard the story yet. Sorry. Any guess? The pants off of <laughs> Cortez. No. Uh, any any idea He's going to strip. Uh, how about uh, cell phones? And, and how about cell phones uh, away from people? Nope. He's going to strip public housing assistance 
from illegal immigrants. We'll talk <gasps> about it. And that's- we'll talk about it when we come back here wow. on the Dave Ellswick Show. I didn't know they had it. Lord help us. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me just read some of this uh, that happened earlier this morning. Said, uh, who was it that said this? It's uh, Maloney, who is uh, Carolyn Maloney of uh, New York, a Democrat. She claimed that Carson's plan would bring nothing but despair to thousands of American families. Uh, the uh, HUD secretary said that uh, they would strip public housing assistance uh, from any illegal immigrants. Quite fine, uh, frankly, I find this despicable. Uh, she went on to say that a HUD study found roughly 25,000 households are in this situation, including approximately 55,000 children with legal status. Now, if you remember, the president just talked a couple of days ago about how he wanted to change immigration in America from merit, from just, you know, families and, and whatnot. This is why we're in the position that we're in. You got families that are in HUD housing only because there is one child that is there that was born here and now has birthright citizenship here uh, in in our country. So That's what they the, call a perverse incentive. Yeah, the rest of the illegals in the family get to stay here because you have one child. Could be a three-month-old or a two-month, one-month-old that was born here. Maloney, they arrive pregnant. Maloney said, where will they live, she was asking. Carson said, well, you haven't read the rule carefully. You will see that it provides a six-month deferral on request if they have not found another place to live. That deferral can then be renewed twice for a total of 18 months, which, the secretary said, is plenty of time for Congress to engage in comprehensive immigration reform so that this becomes a moot point, period. Because, see, they just want to leave things the way that they are. Who said? You hear it all the time. We don't give any special stuff to, to illegals here. Yeah, we do. You're just hearing about it right now. Just because a child was born in our borders, now everybody else gets to stay. Kind of like Obama said in a State of the Union address that no Obamacare benefits would go to illegals, and Joe Walsh said, you lie. Yeah. And everybody condemned him for it, but it turned out it was true. I think that's a misinterpretation of the Constitution when someone is an American citizen a citizen just because they're born here. There's no other country like that. Yeah, well, the U.S. Constitution says, I think, born in the country, born within the jurisdiction of the U.S. U.S. And, and, I, and I think, you know, in in yeah, the whole purpose of that was so slaves could not be denied citizenship. Well, and, and if yeah. you're here illegally, you're 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 not necessarily within the jurisdiction of the U.S. because you're not a citizen, and so and, you're, and you're you're not acting within its, its laws, right? And so it's it's kind of it, it's. Maybe a bit of a gray area, but if I understand it correctly, when you have ambassadors that are here in this country and they have children that are born here, those children and, and, and are not we, citizens. We've got an example of one right now who was the daughter of an ambassador, I think from Yemen, who was living in Alabama. Yes. And she dropped out of college and, and went to Syria and joined ISIS and had two 
little brats from two different ISIS fighters who were both killed in action. And now she outstanding wants, and now citizens. She, and now, yeah, now she claims she's a citizen and wants to, and she's sorry, and she wants to come back here with her two little ISIS. And now brats. her father is begging the government to let them come thank, back. Thank God the government That's so far, far has said stood no. Up some people like that, we'd need like a hole in the head. Yep, absolutely. The current system lets families of mixed immigration status receive a prorated amount of assistance for those who are citizens or legal residents. Carson said that while these families receive assistance, there are other families where every member is in the country legally who have to spend years on a wait list to get help. He noted that this includes hundreds of thousands of children, not to mention disabled and the elderly. That's socialism right there. Socialism incentivizes bad behavior. And that is exactly what our government is doing right now on just about every level. One of the other problems with this is that when when government subsidizes housing in, in some area, I think it can have a tendency to drive the cost of housing up. And so those who aren't getting the subsidies will now have to pay more. Of course. And and so, you know, maybe the market would support a, a two-bedroom apartment for $400 a month if there weren't subsidies. But, but because of government subsidies coming in and the government will pay $600 a month for a two-bedroom apartment, well, guess what? The price just went up to – 600 bucks a month because we live in a world of limited resources and every dollar that we spend making life easy and giving away freebies to illegal aliens is a dollar that we don't have to spend on our own citizens and here they're going we want to give all this free stuff to every american and yet they're throwing the doors open and said come on you can be an american and have the free stuff too you'll run out of other people's money real fast that's what's going that. on right now i think that's what's wrong with the economy right uh, right now and why most people are really struggling is the price that they're having to pay for insurance. I talked to all of my neighbors. They're paying $2,000 a month for health insurance for their families oh with a $10,000 deductible on average of wow. a family of five. And the the deal is – it, there's four or five people getting their hands on that money, and that money is actually covering three or four families instead of just their families. So our mm-hmm. private health insurance is socialism right now because well, it's controlled even, by the even, state. Even the even the medical industry in general, <laughs> even prior to Obamacare, I think about sixty or sixty five percent of the medic, medical care, just just in general, was being paid for by government in Arkansas. And so when government pays. For that much of the medical care that goes on, how do we have market forces that actually drive prices down? And, and, and the thing is, so when government is willing to pay more than market price, it can drive the price up for the rest of us. And so we don't, we can't, we, we may not be able to afford it anymore. This will break your heart, R.D. What you got? The, the first health insurance policy I ever sold in 1975 was $12.49 a month. Boy, don't you love the price of socialism? <laughs> of course, health care has improved, and, and, and a lot of research has, has been done, but the government is the ones that's been the major part. Getting back to, it up. to the article that Dave was referencing, I want to ask Dave a question. You mentioned comprehensive. I, I think that you were quoting Ben Carson, I yes. think. Comprehensive immigration reform. Does, does that ever mean anything besides legalizing everybody who's here regardless? Not to the Democrats. Democrats, that's all they do you, see. Do you, th- do you think Ben Carson meant something different? Oh, yeah. Right? He meant truly sitting down and coming up with a way 
uh, determining like merit-based <coughs> Im- uh, immigration and things of that nature. I've, That's what we need. I've got a system. If you've been paying taxes legally for the last two years, if you're a, if you're a citizen or not, you can still claim your taxes. If you have an income coming in, you can still claim your taxes and pay your taxes just like everybody else. So if you've been claiming your income to the IRS and paying your fair share of of the cost of 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 America and all the things that we if you provide. Have been, you've been doing it under uh, a that, false social security exactly number. That's exactly right. So if you've been paying your taxes for the last two years, you're a pretty honest guy. You go ahead. We're going to give you a legal avenue to do it legally since you've been working hard and paying your taxes. If you've been cheating on your taxes since you've been here, then we got a bus ride home for you. Okay, real quickly, let me just finish this story up for you. Quote, if in fact you want to explain to the American citizens who have been on the wait list for several years in your district in New York why we should continue to support families who are not here legally, I would be happy to join you in helping explain that to people, said (laughs) Carson. According to HUD, most of the families who would be affected reside in New York, California, and Texas. The proposed rule change, which was published in the Federal Register on May 10th, is now open to public comment and would require verification of immigration uh, immigration status for anyone under the age of 62. That's another thing they don't want. They don't want you to be asking people their immigration status. God forbid that kids show up at a school and they have to ask whether they're legal or they're illegal. Cause Bef- they before can't my, have, they before can't my wife it. retired, yeah, she said that she was not allowed to ask. Nope, you cannot well, ask. They're, sh- they're, sh- they're showing up to a government building asking for the, the, the equivalent of about eleven or $12,000 per pupil per year, mm. and they don't have to prove it to prove citizenship? I mean, oh, of, of well, all the things, I mean... Add that to the long list. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're asking for That'd this be. gigantic welfare program over the course of their... But if you start out at kindergarten, go all the way through high school, you're looking at, what, close to $150,000 worth of 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 a well of, of a government program for this kid and you don't have to even have to show citizenship all right and well, then while they're there you teach them socialism of course already, i already told you paul the u.s supreme court in 1955 i believe ruled that we must allow illegals into our school systems that's dumb that was 55. Impeach. We had a dumb Supreme Court back then. Impeach, yeah. impeach them. They haven't gotten much better than that. <laughs> All right, a break, and the no, news no, no, is coming your way. Uh, coming back your way. we got Mr. Hopper, Mr. Kimball, and Mr. Calvert. The power panel today, back after the news. All right, let's get back to it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It is a Tuesday. That means it is power panel day, and uh, the uh, folks RD is here. Carl's here. Paul's here. Jan wished she could have been here, but uh, she had something that came up at the last moment, couldn't make it. My Carl, big showbiz break. Yeah, Carl coming in and filling in for her, and we appreciate him doing that. And you guys are lucky because one of my best guests that comes on here to our show about quarterly, because we got to get back every three months just to make sure what's going on down on the southern border or maybe what's going on in China, because he keeps a real close eye there as well. Michael Cutler joins us here on the uh, Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, Michael, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Hi, gang. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure, no problem. I'm going to 
I'm going to have uh, Michael with us uh, probably until a quarter till uh, 4 o'clock because there's a lot going on on the border that doesn't get reported. This is a guy that worked with uh, Immigration Naturalization Service for years. He knows what goes on behind the curtain, and he pulls it back, and there's a guy there pulling all kinds of levers and smoke's going up and fire comes up, but nothing's really happening. You know what I'm saying? And and what we got going on on the border right now is a real crisis, and uh, the president's trying to do some things. The Congress is getting in his way. In fact, the Democratic Party has been getting in his way constantly. And bring us up on the latest, would you, Michael? Sure. And by the way, it's both parties. When you had the Republicans yeah. controlling both houses, what did they accomplish? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Understand that the immigration system is a delivery system. It's become that. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. Believe me, there's no compassion in exploitation. An unlimited supply of foreign tourists, foreign students. And for the lawyers, and remember, lots of politicians are lawyers, an unlimited supply of clientele for immigration attorneys from both sides of the aisle. Bob Goodlatte, who left Congress this year, uh, was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Republican. He's an immigration lawyer, made his mark with the H-1B visa program. No shock. He wanted to increase the H-1B visas when he chaired the House Judiciary Committee. Both parties got us into the mess. It's undermining national security, public safety, public health, jobs and wages for Americans. But other than that, it's just honky-dory, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's working really, really well, is it not? Well, you. Well, for them it is. For the elite it is. And, and the latest thing that I just wrote about, if you go to frontpagemag.com, Front Page Magazine, sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center, alien smugglers are using infants to come across the border, but they are not their children. According to DHS, about 30% of the so-called families have children with them that aren't their children. And they're talking about renting the kids, and I don't buy it. I think more than likely these children are being kidnapped or the parents, perhaps at gunpoint, are being coerced into turning over custody of their infants. Why infants? You can't interview a six-month-old. And that was the immediate story that I focused on for my latest article that was just published uh, this morning at frontpagemag.com. You know, yeah, you break my heart every time you come on, Michael. You know that, right? Well, you know, the knowledge is power, and the American people need to be empowered with the truth, not the garbage being peddled by the mainstream media. I've I've got a question, Michael. This is R.D. Hopper. Uh, does either? Hi, uh, thanks for being on the show. Does either the Republicans or the Democrats show any sign of closing the chain immigration to where just one child is born in the United States or one person comes and they can bring an unlimited number of the family? Does either side have a proposal to solve that problem? Well, President Trump wants to do what he calls merit-based, and, and I agree with him. So, so let's understand what the problem is. No, there's, there's two separate issues that we're really talking about. That's a very good question, by the way, Artie. Uh, number one, the 14th Amendment has been interpreted, and it was originally passed, as I understand it, but I'm not a constitutional scholar. Don't even play one on TV. But my understanding was the 14th Amendment was about slavery, to make right. certain that black Americans were given complete um, citizenship, if you That's will. absolutely The right. idea that if you're born in America, you're a citizen— <laughs> period, end of story. 
Now, what's happened is aliens realize that if they could bring kids here and they give, well, give birth here, rather, not bring kids here, but give birth here, even if they're illegally, the way the 14th Amendment has been interpreted by the courts, that child at birth is an American citizen. I don't know of any other major country that continues to have that sort of a crazy practice, but we do. And until the law is changed or there's modifications made, once an American citizen turns 21, whether they're born in America or they become naturalized, they can petition the government to bring in their mother and father, which isn't terrible, except it gives the, the mothers, the women, these, this incentive to come here and give birth. And that's the reason we call these kids anchor babies. I don't know if I like the term, but that's truly what they are. But it also means they can petition the government to bring in all of their brothers, all of their sisters, all of their brothers and sisters, spouses, and their children if they're old enough to have kids. So you could have one alien born in America or one uh, uh, alien become a United States citizen and literally bring in a dozen or more family members because of the way the law is. And Donald Trump said enough is enough. Here's my way. You tell me what you think, guys. Supposing we, we look at it the way we look at health care. And my argument is this. If you can't put that person on your health insurance plan, then you should not be able to give them a green card when you are either an American citizen by birth or through naturalization. And, and there's one other point that needs to be understood because the media doesn't talk about this. Because then immediately we, we get this breastfeeding about, oh, my God, we're splitting up families. Two considerations. Number one, the alien who comes and becomes a citizen and resides permanently isn't forced to come here. They didn't come in the holds of a slave ship. They came voluntarily seeking a better way of life. And that's fine. That's what the immigration system is. I'm first-generation American. But there's absolutely no reason why family members can't visit them on tourist visas or similar temporary visa, not work here, not go on welfare, not take a job from an American, and then go home. One of my oldest son moved to Virginia. I'm in New York. We go visit him, you know, and then we go home. And I remember when I was an inspector at the airport during the holidays, everybody would come to visit family members in the United States for a temporary period, and they would leave, except the politicians well, some don't do. want you to realize that they don't need a green card to visit a family member in the United States. You know, Michael, if I can jump in here, I came sure. across this uh, this whole thing about, uh, you know, your family and whatnot when I went down on the border Several years back, remember when the Minutemen were there and they were helping out along the Arizona border, and I was down there, uh, King Anvil Ranch, and I was talking uh, to one of the Border Patrol, and he said that the uh, coyotes, uh, the people who were bringing these people into the United States, and these people were paying exorbitant amounts of money to come, the pregnant women, they the coyotes carried uh, injections, I think it was pregnisone, which they could give them and put them into labor so that they would give birth to their babies while they were in custody of the Border Patrol. Had you heard about that? No, I hadn't. It wouldn't be prednisone. Prednisone is a, is a steroid. It acts as a buffer. It's used in conjunction with cancer. Okay, so it's whatever. There's another drug that can induce pregnancy, but, but I have to tell you, this is the first time I've heard of it. Yep. But, uh, but, but, but in any event... 
What we also need to focus on is we don't know who's coming into the United States. And in fact, I wrote another article, again, frontpagemag.com, Jihad at the Border. And if you folks, and with Memorial Day coming up, uh, we're going to hear a lot about D-Day, June 6, 1944, when the Allies turned the tide of the war against the Nazis. Well, prior to D-Day, there was an operation called Fortitude, the Calais Deception, where the the Allied forces convinced the Germans that we were coming through Calais, not Normandy. So the Germans had to split their resources, and that was what made it possible for the Allied forces to overpower the Germans. My concern is as our Border Patrol is being overwhelmed at certain parts of the border, Border Patrol agents are being pulled off of line watch, in fact, in one sector, I believe it was El Paso, the chief during a CBS interview on 60 Minutes said that 40 percent, nearly half of his agents were not doing line watch, but dealing with the aliens already in custody. Here's the problem. We know that we're getting hammered with 100,000 roughly aliens per month turning themselves in. What no one has a way of knowing is who's coming across this unguarded border that is unguarded because our resources have been, have been divided, not unlike what the Allied forces did. And you have Hezbollah, according to a series of congressional hearings, very disturbing, Hezbollah, terrorist organization operating at the behest and with the funding and direction of Iran. Look how that situation is heating up. So they are now working in conjunction, Hezbollah is, in conjunction with human traffickers, drug smugglers. Today it's almost always one and the same. Number one, to flow drugs into America, which is destroying us. It's also a huge source of revenue, billions and billions of dollars that Iran uses to fund terrorism around the world. It's also giving the Iranians the opportunity to bring sleeper agents into the United States. Um, And so that if, if at some point we wind up in a shooting situation with Iran, they could order those sleeper agents into action to carry out attacks inside the United States. Several of those sleepers have already been arrested, and in fact, one of them was just found guilty at a trial, and by the way, he became a naturalized citizen. The reason they call such alien sleepers or such terrorist sleepers is because they maintain a very low profile. They're, They're the kind of person that you pass on the street, you don't pay any attention to them, they might smile, they might look very pleasant, but in reality, they're waiting for that phone call or that tap on the shoulder calling them into action. So with all this going on and with concerns about diseases, measles and so forth coming across the border, what's unbelievable to me is that neither political party has the morality to say enough is enough. Let's protect national security, public safety, public health, and and, and let's get the job done because it could be done. The problem is the Chamber of Commerce and corporate America and Silicon Valley and various religious organizations we can go down the line, are feeding at a very lucrative trough, and they're making campaign contributions to the politicians from both parties that are nothing more than thinly veiled bribes. Therein lies the problem. All right, I need you to hold your thought, Carl. Carl has a question for you. When we come back, let's get a break. Let's turn it over to to Russ to uh, make some money for us, and we'll be back. Our special guest, Michael Cutler. We're talking about illegal immigration on the Dave Ellswick Show. 
Michael Cutler is our special guest. Uh, we'll get to uh, a little later on in the show. I'll tell you where to go to read his articles. Right now, I'll turn back over to Carl. He had a question for Michael Cutler. Uh, thanks, Dave. Michael Carl Kimball here. You, you really, in your last segment, you hit on one of my real bugbears because people don't want to believe how serious this problem is. Uh, I'd like for you to go into a little more detail, if, if possible. How many Muslim terrorists do you think that we have in the country who snuck across our southern border? Uh, uh, would you expound on what kind of a problem this is for us? Okay, sure. We're talking about radical Islamists. I, I like to make a very clear distinction. And we're also, by the way, dealing with spies. We're dealing with uh, drug traffickers. We're dealing with violent individuals, um, really, who, who are exacting a carnage on, on America in so many ways. Um, I don't know what the numbers are. And by the way, it's not just the Mexican border. Everyone's got to understand that we are a nation of 50 border states. On 9-11, none of the 9-11 hijackers came across the Mexican border. They all came through international airports. Any state that has an international airport, any state that has access to America's 95,000 miles of coastline, think of how big that expense is. If you think the 2,000-mile Mexican border is a problem, imagine 95,000 miles of coastline, plus you've got the northern and southern borders as well as the international airports. And the biggest issue that we don't address is interior enforcement. And this isn't an accident. Uh, when I was with Michael Chertoff, we both spoke at Chapman Law School. Chertoff, of course, was the Homeland Security Secretary. He said, well, where are we going to get the money to hire ICE agents? And I almost fell over. They're sitting in the stretch limo, and I said to him, really? We have over a million men and women in the armed forces. And I want everyone to think about this. We hear so much about the military backing up immigration on the border. In reality, immigration backs up the military. I've made this point. In fact, I'll be back in Washington in two weeks to address senior members of the United States Navy. Two weeks ago, I was in Washington speaking with senior membership of the Air Force. And no one has ever disagreed when I said that the shared primary mission of all five branches of the U.S. military is to keep our enemies as far from our shores as possible. But up close and in person, that very important task first falls to the Border Patrol and then the ICE agents operating within the interior of the United States. If you look at it that way, our borders are our first and last line of defense, no matter which border you want to talk about. The northern, southern airports, seaports, coastline. And we've had hearing after hearing. Um, about how the uh, jihadists being um, funded by Iran have been bringing their people into the United States, and it is super dangerous. Let me just read a brief quote, and this was congressional testimony by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Emmanuel Ortolenge of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies when he testified April of last year before the Homeland Security Committee in the House. And he said in part this. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks, you know, we, and by the way, when you're hearing about Hezbollah in the news and Iran and the president dealing with Iran, in fact, there's briefings today on Capitol Hill closed door sessions about the threat posed by Iran, everyone keeps talking about the Middle East. And of course, they're very, very active in the Middle East. But they are just as active in Latin America. In fact, Quds forces, the Iranian elite guard, have been flying for over a decade directly from from um, Tehran, Iran, into Caracas, Venezuela. And if you look at the meltdown in Venezuela, 
Iran and Cuba, and I wouldn't doubt uh, Russia, has had a hand in what has happened to Venezuela, which was at one time the wealthiest country in Latin America. It is now the poorest country in Latin America. But here is what was said by Dr. Orolenge. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. This toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America, again, think of Venezuela, that is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America. It is thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists and a continent-wide infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. There was also a threat assessment analysis done by the intelligence agencies, and it was the subject of a Senate intelligence hearing in January. Page 18, that I wrote about it in another article, went into great detail about the threat posed to the United States by the Mexican drug cartels, Colombian cartels, and the fact that we are being flooded with fentanyl from China, both across our borders, and China is also using the postal system, believe it or not, to flood America with fentanyl, which in reality is a weapon of mass destruction. It's chemical warfare. Our guest, Michael Cutler, going to be with us uh, in the next half hour as well. Michael, make yourself comfortable. we got to get to the news here in a moment. Give you about five minutes to cool your tonsils, and then we'll be back to talk further with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The power panel's here, R.D. and Carl and uh, Paul, all with questions for you, Michael. They haven't talked to you before. I've talked to you many a time, but I'm always still spellbound by the amount of material you have for. So uh, Michael Cutler will be back in just a moment. You want to know what's going on? This guy can tell you. All right, let's get to the news. That's coming up. And then when we come back, more Michael Cutler, another hour and a half of the power panel. And then in the final hour of today, the Bible guys are in to answer all the questions that you want answered about, uh, you know, religion here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Just send me a Email at uh, day or uh, pardon me, Bible guys at salemlr.com. All right, back with you. Hey, RD, Sunnies, uh, Sunnies, tell me a little bit about Sunnies. I've been telling people about Sunnies because I've saved bunches of money using Sunnies. Tell them how they can save money. Well, we buy late model total vehicles that are not worn out and we test the parts off of them and give them a better warranty that they can get on new and rebuilt parts in many cases we give wholesale shops a six-month warranty at no extra charge uh, retail gets 90-day warranty and for 10 percent one year 20 percent two year and 30 percent three year unlimited mileage warranty so you can buy a used part for half the price of new and Buy a three-year warranty, unlimited mileage, and get a better warranty than you would get on the new part that costs twice as much. Yeah, a lot of a better coverage than you would get from somebody else. And you get a factory OEM part that came from the manufacturer that made your car. Um, I had someone, uh, a dealership call the other day, and they had gotten a uh, 
aftermarket fuel pump and put on one of their cars because they couldn't get one that was back ordered through the OEM manufacturer and it had failed very quickly so we had to get them a OEM fuel pump out of a totaled car so they could put a good fuel pump on the customer's car instead of one made in China and it worked out just fine. Yeah, does a good job. I've got two motors and two different cars, uh, a, a transmission in my Acadia, plus a rear tail light in my Acadia. And you must be hard on cars. I am hard on cars. I drive them until the wheels fall off, and then I get wheels from uh, RD and put them back on. <laughs> so, and then I drive them further, don't I? That's exactly right. You've been a, a good customer, and we've had good service out of everything that we've done for you. Yep. And uh, uh, we suck all the Freon out of the cars, Mercury switches, and we protect the environment in the state of Arkansas, which I love. I'm from the Ozarks, and uh, we, we provide a, a capitalist business that, that provides a service for society. And uh, we have 15 employees. We have a lot of employees in the auto recycling business. And uh, they they love their jobs, and uh, we we love the business. All right, what's the number? All right, call us here local at 501-982-7451, 982-7451, or 1-800-482-9985. Take it from a satisfied customer by the name of Dave Ellswick. You can't go wrong with uh, Sonny's Auto Salvage. So this, this is a low-carbon footprint recycling. That's exactly what it is. A ringing endorsement. And <laughs> it, it lives up to the Dave Ellswick uh, stamp, you know, stamp of uh, real uh, green. And that is, if you save me green... I'll go green, and I'm going green yeah, I'm, with I'm, Sunny's. I'm okay. just impressed by the fact that you can that, that you can offer a better warranty than what you can get out of a new part out of a from the dealership. That's All right, cool. well let's let's get back to Michael Cutler. He's standing by. You had a question for him, Paul. You're up. Yeah. So, Michael, this is Paul Calvert here. So we were talking some during the break here, Carl and I. And to, to me, you know, generally speaking, I want the military to be used for defending Americans and not so much for police in the world and taking care of other people in other parts of the world. So why can't we put 90% of U.S. troops basically on the border? Why can't we have just a massive border protection military versus a, a world policeman military? Is that so well, unreasonable? Where we put the military is one thing, but this is a, mil- this is a law enforcement as well as a military problem. But go back to what I said to you about the international airports. You see, the biggest solution, if I was put in charge of immigration tomorrow morning, first of all, if you look at the way DHS was put together, it was designed to fail because George W. Bush did not want effective immigration law enforcement, period. Jeb was not a shock when he said illegal immigration was an act of love. I wrote an article where I said that Jeb was looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> look, the, the bottom line, and if you look at the testimony, I, I was at a hearing, and I, I think I testified before 17 hearings in both the House and Senate. I was before John Hostetler, who's a Republican, conservative Republican from Indiana. In fact, I campaigned for John uh, when he ran for re-election. Although I'm registered as a Democrat, I vote for individuals. We should all forget about the R and D nonsense. Vote for individuals because the parties are corrupt, okay? Uh, it's just that simple. 
But John Hostetler made the point that the way DHS was put together, the way they took immigration, split it into multiple components, and then blended it with other agencies. Remember, the sea in ICE is customs. Prior to the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender, by the way. Before they did that, Customs was under the Treasury Department. Immigration was under the Justice Department. They have absolutely no common ground other than their border agencies, period. Customs is about money and tariffs and that sort of thing. Immigration is about people. Totally different. Why did they blend customs with immigration? And then most of the people put in charge of ICE came from legacy customs, not immigration. This was willful. (laughs) Why do we have 6,000 ICE agents for the entire country and more than half of the efforts that they expend have nothing to do with immigration? They are more concerned, or at least traditionally have been more concerned with going after people that produce counterfeit Gucci loafers and counterfeit passports. (laughs) And, and And what John Hostetler said was that the way that DHS was put together, even though we knew that 9-11 was only possible and other terrorist attacks were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system, so they created an immigration system that was completely unable to secure the borders or enforce the immigration laws. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that the, the Gucci is, is more inclined to pay politicians um, for Gucci's going to pay politicians, and this is about intellectual property theft, which gets which gets the corporations upset. They want the cheap labor, you know. And what bothers me about Donald Trump, he says we're going to bring in all these brilliant students. You know, I come from Brooklyn, and where I come from, you know what we call the world's best and brightest? We call them Americans. Yay! So when I hear politicians tell me. We need to import brilliant people from around the world. That's a measure of the stupidity of the politician. Michael, you have it with Mitt Romney. You've <laughs> had it with other politicians from both parties. But it was the Republicans who started this. Ronald Reagan, and I know lots of conservatives love Reagan, he was a disaster on immigration. He gave us the first amnesty. He gave us the visa waiver program, which enabled terrorists and criminals to enter the United States easily. His amnesty included a confidentiality provision, so I could not share amnesty information with any other agency. If the FBI came to me breathlessly, and I worked closely with the Bureau, for 10 years I had a desk at the FBI, DEA, and ATF. If the FBI came running up to me and said, Mike, there's a guy with an atom bomb. Do you have photos? Do you have any information? If the only place I had the photos was the amnesty file... If I gave that photograph to that FBI agent, I was committing a five-year felony. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mr. Reagan. Now, Tip O'Neill really suckered him, didn't he? Both parties have done. I'm sorry? I said Tip O'Neill really suckered Reagan on that amnesty of 86. And well, another I, I don't know Schumer, who did yeah. what, but, the, no, but, but look, the Republicans want the cheap labor. Let's, let's stop giving excuses. I don't give anybody a pass. If you don't know what you're doing, don't do it, okay? And I'm sorry. He screwed us royally with, with the amnesty, with the visa waiver program, with the Chamber of Commerce, with the, uh, the whole deal. And, and the Republicans initially wanted the open borders. The Democrats didn't because they knew they were destroying jobs and wages for Americans because the Democrats used to be the party of labor. My dad was a construction worker. He's my biggest hero. I lost him to cancer when I was, when I was 19. He was 57 because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. He wanted to get into the military. His brother was ready in the Army Air Corps, and my dad was the sole surviving male member of the family. And after the Sullivan brothers, if you were the sole surviving male member, they wouldn't take you. So he said, look, I'm a plumber. I can go work on the ships. 
and that's how he was exposed to asbestos. But the point of the matter is that our immigration laws are supposed to protect American workers and American jobs. Alan Greenspan testified for Chuck Schumer. This was 10 years ago, April 30th, 2009, referred to American high-tech workers as the privileged elite, earning a wage premium because we're shielding them from foreign competition. He said, if we could take down that shield, we could cut that wage premium and reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills uh, over lesser, uh, over Americans with lesser skills. In other words, Greenspan was calling for communism and the destruction of the middle class, and the Republicans were standing right next to him, shoulder to shoulder, because they wanted the cheap labor to placate their people. Boy, that's... Think about how this all happened. This, this didn't happen by accident. And when Michael Chertoff had the chutzpah to say to me, well, where are you going to get the money? We have 6,000 ICE agents, but we have over 45,000 people at TSA. New York City has 38,000 police officers just for the city of New York. But 6,000 ICE agents is all that the federal government could afford? Seriously? Do you see how this is Bring in the military. Well, they don't want it fixed. Not to do law enforcement. No, the the solution isn't military to do law enforcement. This is a law enforcement issue. And immigration could get the job done tomorrow if you could get the U.S. attorneys to want to prosecute the cases, which I've been told they don't. You still have people with the same mindset that goes back to the Obama administration at the Justice Department. Isn't it crystal clear when you see the nonsense that's been going on, the attacks on President Trump endlessly? Because nobody wanted to have the border secured, immigration laws enforced. Um, And if you look at the damage being done by China, do you know two years ago before President Trump started to crack down on it, two years ago we admitted 132,000 Chinese STEM students teaching them to be engineers and computer programmers, and then allowing them to get practical training by working for companies that do military contracts so they robbed us blind. Espionage by China, aliens coming in legally, is so prevalent that the intelligence community calls it Chinese takeout. Think about oh. it. So, and the okay, solution hey, is in the military. Okay, the solution so are immigration agents who are dedicated to enforcing the immigration laws. You don't need the military. All right. There were missions for the military, but this isn't one of them. Michael, can you stay one more segment? I will. All right. Stay right with us. RD's got another question. It's Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget that this is Motorcycle Awareness Month. If you're looking for great coverage at great rates for your bike, get what you need at the Dwayne Smith Allstate Insurance Agency. They understand all about owning a motorcycle and insuring it because they ride motorcycles themselves and it's always better to buy motorcycle insurance from someone that rides one call today 501-819-0373 and also remember that may is national military appreciation month and the Dwayne smith insurance agency has over 30 years of military experience love the military men and women you stop in let them tell you how much they appreciate your service and See if they can't save you some dollars. Call Dwayne Smith with Allstate Insurance today, 501-819-0373, or stop at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. All right, back with you. About eight minutes left with um, Michael Cutler today. Michael, again, for people to read your articles, where's the place they need to go? Sure. My, obviously, my favorite website is my own personal website. It's Michael Cutler, C-U-T-L-E-R, michaelcutler.net. 
I write for Front Page Mag, Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. I've been doing some writing of late for Dennis Michael Lynch at dmlnews.com. I have some articles up at the Social Contract. Finally, I do a blog talk radio program on Friday night, 7 p.m. East Coast time, the Michael Cutler Hour on blog talk radio. And if you go to the website, you can click on the podcast and you can listen to all these uh, prior programs. What I do at the end of the week is spend an hour uh, deciphering the madness primarily where immigration is concerned, especially where it impacts national security uh, or public safety. All right, let's finish up our questions from the panel. And, R.D., you had a question for Michael. You know, you made a quick reference earlier that immigration was a lot like health care, and I've been sitting here listening to you tell us all the financial reasons that the people in power benefit from the current system and the way it is, and all the powerful people in law firms and lobbyists are lobbying for things not to change on both sides because people are benefiting from it. That is so much like health care, and what people called Obamacare, all the Republicans did was change the name of it and, and, and keep doing it basically the same way except for taxing us on our taxes for not having insurance but the people in power are both sides getting funded uh by the corporations that benefit from the way things are and neither oh, I, side I, I has agree. absolutely no intentions of changing anything because it's benefiting them financially to no end All right, michael you go yes. ahead yes yeah, well, it, it is. I call it the magic act. You know, the magician who promises he's going to cut the lady in half, and we all know if he really does it, uh, he's going to go to jail. No one's ever going to work with him again. So he creates an effective illusion that he cut her in half, and at the end of the show, she jumps up on the stage and gets a round of applause. Most Americans want secure borders and want effective but fair immigration law enforcement. You know, we are a nation of immigrants, but we're not a nation of trespassers. Mm -hmm. And the hypocrisy is incredible. Chuck Schumer is the guy that three or four years ago said trespassing is dangerous. When people trespass on critical infrastructure or national landmarks, we need a federal law that makes that a five-year felony. So we discourage this dangerous behavior. And he's right. But the same Chuck Schumer said that when you trespass on America, because that's what entering without inspection is, these folks aren't entering undocumented. That's Orwellian. By the way, this isn't about political correctness. We have got to stop calling this political correctness and calling it what it is. This is Orwellian newspeak. If you haven't read 1984, that's your homework assignment. Please read it. It's a quick read. You will understand the playbook of America's adversaries. And, and so when we hear this nonsense about political correctness, it's Orwellian newspeak, altering the language to alter the way we understand issues. That's the reason that Jimmy Carter said we're not going to use the word illegal alien. We're going to call them undocumented immigrants. So if you dare suggest we keep any foreign <laughs> national out of the country, you are labeled anti-immigrant. I'm first-generation American. My mom came to this country ahead of the Holocaust. We're Jewish. My grandmother, I was named for her. She was killed in Poland because of our religion. I have no problem with people coming legally to the United States, provided that the vetting system keeps out the people who want to hurt us. And the vetting system stinks. We have actually naturalized terrorists within the year of an attack. The of brothers that carried out the Boston attack, the Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber. This system needs to be fixed, and it's only going to happen when we, the people, make our demands known to the politicians the same way that we make our desires known to that waiter or waitress at a restaurant. 
We have got to be clear and we've got to make these people accountable and forget about Democrat, Republican. Look at these individuals simply as individuals and then see what makes the most sense to you. All right. Michael Cutler, thanks for the hour, brother. I told you maybe 45 minutes. We went the full hour. I appreciate your time. We'll do it again, as we always do in the future. Absolutely. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, and let's remember why we have this weekend coming up, to honor those who gave their lives for this great nation. Amen. Thank you, Michael. Have a great one. Michael Cutler here on Dave Ellswick Show. He's an amazing guy. He 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 He's worked. wound up about he, it. Well, he he worked in this, you know, in those departments for over thirty-two years. He knows what's going on, and he knows the politicians are lying to people. I like the I like the scenario about giving the illusion that you're cutting the girl in half. <laughs> that is a politician. I mean, that's a perfect description of a politician. Now we're going to reform. That's they're cutting the the woman in half. We're going to reform something, but when we get done with it, you know, the program that we're reforming is going to be like the lady jumping up and around, and there's nothing wrong with her. We really didn't do anything except grow government, make it more expensive, and maybe add benefit some, the add people some, in power. Add some bureaucrats here and there, and, <laughs> and um, maybe fatten up some attorneys. It's hard to imagine that the Homeland Security Department has really made us significantly any more secure. It's certainly gotten deep into our privacy. Well, and and that's part of the problem is and that we don't respect liberty and justice, but we respect lots of government intrusion. And it's about the illusion. It's about the illusion. Well, All we so. want is people to have the illusion that they're safe and have the illusion that I'm conservative and have the illusion that I'm capitalist. But I really <laughs> want to be just like everybody so else. So people feel safer because the. Because the um, the the TSA at the airport will strip search you or look at some body scanner where they can see your private parts. No, no, and so you know, but maybe it would be better. Maybe we would be more secure if we start actually holding criminals accountable. Why aren't we having some public hangings? Let's do some actual accountability that would would make people safer. But no, we've we've got politicians. We need we need more surveillance we need more government maybe intrusion we, maybe you could start with not releasing the people who have criminally barged into our country into the interior which is what they wanted all along anyway yeah, and, I, I mean if, let's just start with that when well, someone's caught red-handed breaking into the country they don't get to go loose in the country well, that would financially impact a large group of companies so we can't do that carl well, well, Tough stop luck. Giving, stop, <laughs> but stop giving them welfare stop giving them public education stop public giving them housing. public housing at the end of the day cut off the welfare that's a good start why, they wouldn't why be pouring it? in here if they didn't think they were going to get free stuff well, we, and republicans need to get a spine amen to why that, on brother. earth why on earth did republicans allow the court to get get by with saying well the states have to give out free education to public to um to, to See, this is why i'll never be a republican those sobs are way too far left for me and and that's 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 a, that's the sad fact of where, where we're at. The the Republicans need to be need to be holding the courts accountable the courts accountable for their abuse of power. The, the the states should have no duty whatsoever to give free education to illegals. All right, we'll take five minutes here for you to catch your breath, and then we'll be back for another hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back we are. You did. You're getting really good with that, Carl. And I start talking, you just stop, as you know you get in trouble. 
Because typically during the breaks, when, can't get when the mic's here. on, we can get in trouble with some of the stuff we said. Uh, I got some things for you here. That, you know, you, you think the lunacy can't go any further. And then Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez goes even further. She posted a video last night explaining how her Green New Deal would work in action, focusing on community gardens in her home district. But, she cautioned, growing just any leafy green food in a communal plot would be unacceptable to the Green New Deal and to their overlords, and that wannabe urban farmers should steer away from colonial approaches to gardening. Colonial. <laughs> colonial <laughs> approaches uh, to gardening. Keep, keep By which she means white people food, right? Yeah, I guess. In it, Cortez, on a tour of local urban farms, suggests that communal vegetable gardens are one way to take a personal approach to alleviating the carbon footprint of industrial farming. She's in some ways correct. Urban gardens keep people who live in so-called food deserts, get access to cheap, fresh produce, and they cut down on how much <clears throat> produce needs to be trucked in from larger food-growing operations. But at its heart, the Green New Deal is less about environmentalism. A recent study even showed that. Fully implemented, Cortez's plan would reduce carbon emissions by a number barely distinguishable from zero, <laughs> then it is about a complete restructuring of the American economy designed to address perceived inequality and to meet the goals of intersectionality by eliminating oppression. Lord. Which is why <laughs> Cortez says even a successful urban gardener cannot grow cauliflower. What I love, too, is growing plants that are, quote, culturally familiar in the community. It's so important, Cortez says. So that's really how you do it, right? That is such a core component of the Green New Deal is having all of these projects make sense in a cultural context. And it's an area that we get the most pushback on because people say, why do you need to do that? That's too hard, she says. Then she gets to the meat of her her point. Listen to this, guys. You're going to love it. But when you really think about it, when someone says that it's too hard to do a green space that grows yucca instead of, I don't know, cauliflower or something, what you're doing is you're taking a colonial approach to environmentalism. That is why a lot of communities of color get resistant to certain environmentalist movements because they come with a colonial lens on them. It's not clear whether Cortez means yucca or yucca, you know, Y-U-C-A or Y-U-C-C-A, and it's just pronouncing the former wrong, which is kind of an example of colonial behavior because Y-U-C-A is pronounced as yucca. Uh, is a root vegetable that's native to Asia and Africa and can be found in certain parts of South America. It's sort of similar to the potato, just so you'll know. If she's talking about uh, yucca, she might have a point. Native Americans and Asians may, in fact, want to grow familiar tubers in their community 
gardens. Now, I, Dave, I'd hate to be confused with a spokesman for the cauliflower industry, <laughs> not being that particularly big a fan. But I did, as a child, live in New Mexico and know that yucca is the state flower of New Mexico. Yes. And it doesn't grow in northern, where she lives. It The climate is not conducive to growing yucca. But that's why you don't say yucca. You say yucca because well, yucca a, is a potato. Well, I'm not so well, sure that, that the yucca would grow there I either. think she's been smoking a green leafy substance. <laughs> yeah. Probably so. Because she makes no sense. Uh, the Green no. New Deal is about a transfer of wealth. That's taking money away from the people in the corporations that are being successful now and giving it to people that to use in a non-profitable way but have connections with the government. Uh, the way I see it, the bottom line of what she said is – Shut up and do what your Marxist masters tell you. That's to. exactly right. Well, we'll you can't you eat what okay you want. Grow. You can't live where you want. You can't do what you want. Shut up and do what we say, because we're your masters. I that's, just think that's what I hear. See this? They they got to couch everything in socialistic jargon. And they make it sound colonial, like a virtue. Colonial gardening, as though you know. You're going to take over India again or something. Well, because the cities are acting like colonialists in the fact that they take people's property and make it community property instead of private property. is I don't know where else to go with this. We, we've got city governments that are out of control and just stupid. Is she suggesting that city government should come along and, and ban certain um, vegetables in these gardens? Or yes. tell us what or, or, vegetables or, we have to that's grow? Correct. Maybe she wants them to grow, but grow sweet, or sorry, grow french fries. I mean, right. we can just go pick them off the uh, pick them off the bush or whatever she thinks they, it's they grow on. about as intelligent as most but, of what we hear but, from but, her. But, I mean, what, what, what does she want? I mean, d- d- in some places, it's probably illegal to have uh, seed gardens. I know what she wants. She wants you gardens. to shut up and do what you're told. Yes. She, that's what she, she wants freedom. to tell you what to do. Of course. And that's, that's kind of the nature of, of socialism. But the, the, yeah. the, 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 the dumb thing about a lot of these socialists is they're Democrat socialist, Democratic socialist. I'm sorry. So this this is the theory or the idea that you know people are too stupid to make decisions for themselves. Therefore, they should they should vote in groups to make decisions for the entire country. That's absurd. How do you how do you come up with with something that dumb? If you literally think people are too stupid to make decisions for themselves, why on earth would you let them vote? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of put your to put you in on. power. Because this is the thing. They want everybody to be based on groups, not on individuals. And this whole business is just the opposite of what we talked about in the first hour with what the country was founded on. Personal property rights, individual liberty, the chance to make your own choices in life, the chance to succeed or fail based on your own energy, intelligence, and determination. Those are the things that made America great and successful. And if we do the opposite of that, we're going to get the opposite of success. The the collectivism idea. And and then so you have these these collective groups that are, of course, educated by government. Education is a loose term because I I think it's it's, it's hard to actually call that education and and not kind of laugh about it because it's, it's the, the idea of that the education is happening in public schools is is somewhat insane but at, at the end of the day we've got the left calling for collective ideologies and collective um, benefits and yet they are actually teaching the collectives what to think 
And so, so how is that any different than just a plain old dictatorship? Collectivism is the exact opposite of Americanism. Just the exact opposite. Unfortunately, it's becoming and, the norm. Uh, no individual responsibility. No individual responsibility. Well, you know, n- nobody says that someone who is too stupid or too lazy or too physically infirm to be able to work should be allowed to ch- to starve or or to be homeless. But we shouldn't put them in charge of deciding how the rest of us live. You know that that reminds me that, of in Florida, what? wherever there's people living on the streets that are homeless and hungry. And it's against the law for you to go down to the restaurant and buy some food for them, because when you give them the food, it may have a high fat content, (laughs) so you may cause cholesterol, high crest cholesterol but what she's saying is is you wouldn't want to grow food in your front yard and giving it to somebody because it may not be the ethnic food that they're used to eating and you would be oppressing them by making them eat what you provided for them Hmm. you wouldn't want to oppress people that way but but the thing is that (laughs) people need people need to get hungry people need to, to work and government needs to get out of the way and allow them to work and 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 such and part of the problem, we, we do have a homelessness, homeless problem. I think part of the solution to that is make it legal for R.D. Hopper or, or, or somebody else to go out and, and say, you know what, I'll, I'll let you come in and sweep the floors. I can't hire you as a full-time employee. I'll let you, let you come in and sweep the floors, and I'll pay you three bucks an hour. And, in the, and that'll be enough for them to get food for the day. I can tell you exactly what made me a good yeah. insurance agent. Hunger. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's yeah, – there's yeah. there's You go out and work. I mean, I, I, mean a box. I, I had to start working smarter than I was working, too, because I wasn't working smart well, enough. And just, just like, you know, you know, if I was having a hard time finding a job and I was maybe I didn't have any friends around, I, I was just getting desperate. I would probably go up to some business and say, hey, look, I, I'll, I'll work for the day. Just give me enough to eat. And or maybe I'll work for free until you see how hard I can work and you'll want to keep me. But. Uh, why is it illegal for someone to just go up and, and offer to, to work for low wages because no one else will hire them? It happened during the Depression sure. many times. Like I told you, I know several mechanics that are mechanics because during the Depression, they were the oldest of the family. When they got to be 14 years old, the parents said, you know, we've got eight kids. We, we can't feed you. You need to go out and make your own way in the world because we can't feed you any longer. So these people would leave home. They'd take off walking. They'd go up to a business and say, you know, I'd like to work for you. And if you'll give me a place to sleep and give me food, then then I'll work for you. And, and several of these men, and I, I know them right now. One of them is still living. He lives in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, told me this story. He learned how to be a mechanic. He learned how to work on cars. And uh, he had a place to sleep, and he had food to eat because it wasn't illegal at that time to allow someone to work for the room and board. So he, he learned a profession. He later opened his own business and, and became successful and helped a lot of other people. But you're exactly right. It's and people, uh, it's an individual put, responsibility, but they make it illegal to do it. Right. So, so right now we've got we've got scoundrels out here that want to put people like his employer in jail, basically because you know you don't you have you should be paying him a living wage. <laughs> what what if times are hard? What if what if you've got somebody who doesn't know how to work, and so maybe his his the value of his labor is so low you can't afford to pay him anywhere See, near and minimum wage. That's what minimum wage laws do. It makes it illegal 
to hire the marginally incompetent or inexperienced. Right. And, because and, and inexperienced and marginally incompetent people, like I was when I started in the insurance business, I was a more than marginally incompetent mm-hmm. insurance agent. But you got to start somewhere. Everybody starts out and, in, and incompetent. You gotta, and you got to learn right. to do better. And you, right. and if, if you want to eat better and have a better place and have sure. a better car, you got to go out and work harder and work right. smarter. And all of us I'll, start out incompetent. That's just a fact of life. I liken it to a ladder when you look at a ladder. When I was in high school, I carried out groceries at the local grocery store, and I got out of school a little bit early, and I'd work like four or five hours a night uh, bagging groceries before I went home every night. So I was working Saturdays and working 40 hours a week carrying out groceries when I was in high school. I I see that as on the bottom step of a ladder, but I was on the ladder. You, you You learned how to show up on time. You learned how to be responsible for what you did. You learned how to take orders from the boss and all those other things that you got to know how to do before you can make a decent wage. And it gave me an excellent reference when I wanted to apply for the next job that I wanted to yeah. do in life. They could call that employer and they say, hey, shows up for work on time. He's respectful. He works hard. He doesn't cause trouble. He doesn't lie, cheat, and steal. Can't even say that stuff so, anymore. So, so, so now the next generation are going to be hiring McDonald's kiosks for the next level. So, so what minimum wage does, it takes the, the minimum wage takes the first four steps off the ladder mm-hmm. yeah and then they have to jump they have to jump up and then when you take like obamacare medicaid expansion they get struck that stuck at the 12 dollars an hour and the next four steps of the ladder is taken off because they have to jump to 19 dollars an hour to get everything the government gives them for free all right we're going to take a break when we come back uh a topic that i wrote down before we uh, started the show and uh look uh Carl will admit to this. Iran was one of the topics I wanted to get to today. So we will do that when we come back from this here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So I don't know if you guys know this or not, but today up on Capitol Hill, uh, the president's administration was uh, there with the senators and, of course, with the, uh, uh, the senators and the congressmen, and they had meetings about iran and telling them what iran has been up to and a lot of people walked out of those meetings saying yeah this is about deterrence not about going to war you know they've been saying that trump's beating the war drums and that he wants to go to war i don't say that he wants to go to war but here's the key if you have another country that is rushing and just today iran mentioned that they had sped up uh, making nuclear materials. You know, do you want Iran having a nuclear bomb? That's a question that you got to ask yourself because that's what they're trying to get. I mean, uh, we already got a you know a pint-sized dictator who we believe has you know a bomb over North Korea. You know, we don't want everybody into that playing in that party. That's not a good thing. I'm afraid Obama may have already made it virtually impossible for us to stop them from having the bomb. Uh, That Iran deal that Trump pulled us out of and, of course, got a lot of criticism in some quarters for was the worst example of a deal that was not – A, it shouldn't – it was like a treaty – 
but thanks to that Bob Corker, they finagled it so that it didn't even have to get approved by the Senate because the Senate couldn't have approved it because it was so blatantly un-American. But they literally sent pallets with hundreds of millions of dollars in of American all kinds cash. of different denominations and in different forms. To the biggest terrorist country and sponsor of terrorism in the world. We are financing our own destruction. Thank you, President Obama, worst president in American history. All right, so Shanahan was there and said, our biggest focus at this point is to prevent Iranian miscalculations. We don't want the situation to escalate. This is about deterrence, not about war. Our efforts and our ultimate objective is over the past days has been to de- deter Iran, Pompeo told uh, Congress and the Senate. Shanahan said he talked to lawmakers about what the Department of Defense has been doing since May 3rd, when we received credible intelligence about threats to our interests in the Middle East and to American forces. Went on to say he's confident they have deterred attacks against American forces based on our reposturing of assets. Over the past several weeks, the U.S. has sent an aircraft carrier and other resources to the Persian Gulf region and evacuated non-essential personnel from Iraq amid unspecified threats, the administration says, are linked to Iran. Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney said the action taken by the administration is totally appropriate, saying it was designated to deter Iraq's attacks by Iran. Speaking of the threats, Romney said they were specific. Other lawmakers after the briefing still expressed concern about war breaking out. Now, so if you want war to break out, who do you go talk to? Of course, you go talk to Senator Bernie Sanders. <laughs> quote, quote, we were lied to in terms of Iraq supposedly having weapons of mass destruction. They did. Uh, did they have a nuke? No. Did they have, uh, you know. They had a lot of gas. A lot of gas and things of that nature. That's a weapon of mass destruction. If you don't know, check out the Geneva uh, you know, Accords. Uh, he went on to say a war with Iraq or Iran would be an absolute disaster, far worse than the war with Iraq. I hope the people tell this administration that we do not go to war in Iran. But, you know, you don't go to war with anybody unless you absolutely have to. I'd hate for us to go to war with Iran absolutely. or anyone else if we can help it. Yeah, that's not my idea of a fun but, time. But but we're already under attack. You just heard on the last hour Michael Cutler talking about them sneaking agents over our southern border to essentially lie in wait for the message from Tehran to do God knows what terroristic attacks within our homeland. Well, there's... There's things you can do to deter people besides sending troops over there. You can say, uh, if you do this kind of test... Okay, back. All right, so, is there anything that Iran can do? Would they, <clears throat> Do they have to attack us physically for us to, to have a response to them? I'm just bringing it up, because I know that there's going to be people out there that are going to say that. We're not going to have any physical military response to them unless we get a physical military attack from them. Well, I think I think a credible threat is justification for action. I mean, I don't have to – if someone's if – if I walk out of the building right now and someone um, 
threatens to stab me with a knife, I don't have to wait for them to actually make me start bleeding before I can punch them or, or take them or take their knife from them or whatever it is. Thank you, George Bush. And, and so the, I, don't, I don't have to wait. That doesn't it doesn't require justice does not insist that I, I get hurt prior um, to taking action. I, I think it, it would be highly unreasonable to to attack them just because they're they're armed, but to 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 um, if they're actually a credible threat and they're making threats, then you know I think that's reason to, to take action prior to actual Americans being killed. Yeah, I mean that gentleman that they interviewed. I don't know which congressman it was. Can't remember his name. The only one I can remember is Bernie Sanders because he said the dumbest thing. <laughs> but uh, the bottom line was he said that the. Uh, the thing, the material that they gave them, oh, it was Mitt Romney, of, of all mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. said they were specific threats. Okay, we got the Seventh Fleet over there right now. I mean, they're sitting there over there by the Gulf of Moose. Not a lot of room to move around in there when you got a, you know, a, a aircraft carrier and a whole aircraft carrier escort. Yeah, with I you. imagine they're probably holding the aircraft carrier out in the uh, Arabian Gulf, and and maybe some of its escorts may go through the Straits I mean, of Hormuz. A lot but of I don't stuff. think they'll put the carrier right in the. Yeah, Persian I wouldn't Gulf. think I would. You know, one thing you have to realize is you're not going to use my favorite political word you're not going to reform iran you're not going to set up a democracy you're not going to uh be able to come up with a better way to do business all you can do basically to thugs like that is if they get too many guns or if they get too many powerful whatever the specific threat is uh, I think we have ways to eliminate the specific threat without putting boots on the ground. You just yeah, say, "Okay, it, you don't need that," and you eliminate it. You know, as as long as as long as they're not shooting at us, if there is any way that we could keep the screws on economically, I, I think the people of Iran would love to have a secular democracy and be friends with the United States. It's the Ayatollahs and and the wild-eyed radical Islamist leadership that has been dictatorially in charge of that country for the last 40 years. It, you know, I don't know if it's going to be possible to unseat thank them you, Jimmy with Carter. economic... Yeah, thanks, Jimmy well, Carter. Uh, but it's still their responsibility to fix it and i agree with you if the the majority of the people of iran if the majority of the people in iran want a democracy and want someone and they want capitalism and they want the right to own land and own their own business and elect and elect their leaders if that's what they want compared to living under a bloodthirsty theocracy who wouldn't want they need to be like poland and and they need to take their country back and they need to do it but it's their responsibility it's not our responsibility to do that. Uh, and I, and I, I think – I don't like the idea of these kind of hunt-and-peck economic sanctions. You know, if they're so bad, cut off all trade with them. Don't, oh, don't, don't, yeah. don't, just, don't just do the, well, we're going to try to manipulate trade here and there, and let's just kind of throw rocks at a hornet's nest. I think of. we're closer to that now than and, we have been – at least since Obama opened negotiations for the Iran deal. And Obama and John Kerry wanted that Iran deal so bad because that was going to be his legacy. Oh, he was the great president that got the Iran deal, and he wanted it so bad. And the Ayatollahs knew how bad he wanted it, and he wanted it so bad that he t- 
took a deal that was so horrible that it was far worse than no deal at all. And, and that was when he let the pressure off on sanctions for them, and that's when they became even more active in, in Yemen. He became even, they became even more active in Syria. They became even more active in Iran and, and are generally a threat to the whole region. Well, we would, have, we would have mopped up the problems that we were having in Iraq a lot quicker if there hadn't have been all the Iranian uh, behind the scenes things. I mean, the IEDs yeah. were were brought in by the Iranians oh, yeah. themselves. The, the Iranians have killed a lot of Americans in Iraq and Afghanistan. Both. Absolutely, absolutely. What you've got to look at, whether uh, these sanctions or whatever you're talking about, are you making the government more powerful? and putting the government in a better position to oppress their people, like giving them plain loads of money to help oh, oppress Lord, their people, so or as what, you're, as what you're doing, hurting the government and giving the people that work every day and the people that if they want freedom, does it put them in a position, a better position to take their government I, back? I understand that that loser, John Kerry, who negotiated the worst treaty in the history of the country. They should use has, the Logan Act. Yeah, he's been... He's been contacting them and encouraging them to not talk to the Trump administration and hold out for the Democrats to win so they can give the farm away to him again. If that's not a reason to vote against any Democrat nominee, I don't know what would be. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy uh, Dave, what he's been doing. Can I, can I bring up one thing off topic while I've still got a, yeah. a minute here? Go ahead. I, I read in the paper today that we lost a great man yesterday – a man of international sporting significance, the great Nicky Lauda, who was the 1975, 1977, and 1984 world champion Formula One racer, was devastated by a huge fire in 1975 that nearly took his life, but went on to win two more championships after that, and has been for many years a uh, advisor and an executive in the Mercedes team. I just read in the paper this morning he passed away yesterday how old was he close to the same age as me really yeah yeah guys young my age guy are, guys my age are dropping like flies i think he was 68 wow yeah that, you know i don't consider that now with the medicine that we have and the way to treat people that we have that somebody who's 68 is el- so elderly. I tell you, guys my age are dropping like flies, Dave. You need to enjoy me while you can. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy myself while I can. You know, I, I, you know, we've lost a lot. I mean, Tim Conway died a few yeah, days ago. Tim wasn't that, that much was older bad. than us. Oh, well, yeah, he was. He was 80 years old. Yeah, Nicky so, Lauda. 79. He was racing when I was in high school. You're talking about 84. Yeah. I graduated in 85. So there was Nigel Mansell. And oh, yeah. that, he was and, one of the greats. Uh, he was one of the greats back in that time. And he raced during the Arrington Senna era whenever, you know, uh, and, Senna was, was great. And, 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 you know, he came from, from Formula One and won the American IndyCar Championship the first year that he tried it. And then later he tried to go back to Europe and race in Formula One again, and he didn't make the first race because he was too fat to fit in the car. And one of my buddies says, well, he's an American driver now. <laughs> well, yeah, they Should have gone to NASCAR. Yeah, they called him the lion because he was so fierce Italy on the track. A, the Italians called him. Oh, he was a great driver. But things are much safer because of these guys. These guys did yeah. champion for safer driving. Well, and, you know the guy I regu- really like. Re- regulations. And, and I went nuts when they came back with the uh, – 
the ad on uh, TV, what beer was it that they were doing? But they had Jackie. Heineken. Had Jackie Stu- I, says, Stewart. says, no thanks, oh, I'm yeah. still driving. Yeah, I loved it. They offered him a beer before he went off and drove away, and he says, no, I'm still driving. I, yep. lo- I love that ad. I yep. really do. He was, a, he was one of the greats of all time, too. And you could listen to him talk. I mean, he had that Scottish, Scottish accent, you know. What, what used to crack me up is back in the 80s when he did color for the Formula One races, he would refer to, you know, they had there was an era where some of the cars were turbocharged right, right. and some were not turbocharged. And, and Jackie had this this odd quirk of calling the ones that were not turbocharged, he'd refer to them as non-aspirated engines, <laughs> which literally means they don't breathe, yeah, which means so they funny. wouldn't fire at all. Yeah, that, that, that was one of funny. his funny quirks. The proper term is naturally aspirated. Yes, did you, that, did that you was watch, what he meant. Did you watch that series I told you about on Netflix about Formula One? Uh, what was the name of it? Uh, I forget what it was called. It, Maybe it's Formula One. I don't know. I need to look for that. It was really good. And that that up-and-coming driver that they talked about almost won the world championship uh, this year. This kid is really, really good. Well, there's a special on Jim Clark. On, there's on, another great driver. Uh, Jim yeah. Clark was one of the great I hated drivers him also. At Indiana- of course, this, Indianapolis. Though. Of course, this year at uh, you know Formula One's typical because you got four guys. There's a 95 percent chance that one of four guys is going to win any given race, and then about a 99 percent chance that it'll be them or one of two others. But in IndyCar, IndyCar's having a fantastic season this year. In IndyCar, there, any given race, there are ten different guys that can win it. The uh, the European group from Formula One. McLaren they failed got to qualify. Failed. They failed to get into the well, 500. You know, you know what happened? First time. Well, you know what happened to you? Yeah, and McLaren was big. McLaren won. Uh, of course, the, the first Roger Penske victory in Indianapolis in 1972 was in a McLaren customer car, and McLaren's factory team won it in 74 and 76 with Johnny Rutherford. But uh, when they came back with Alonzo uh, in 20, was it 27? Seventeen that they came back with Alonzo, and Alonzo was competitive, and he was running in the lead pack when his Honda engine broke. Well, they were calling it the McLaren team, but they were associated with Andretti, and Andretti was really doing all their prep. Well, uh-huh. they weren't they weren't part of the Andretti group this time. McLaren came in on their own to do it, and they bombed. They didn't do very well. They did bombed. They? they almost squeezed in on the last day because they got a bunch of help from Andretti and Penske and some other folks that didn't want to see. Alonzo go home without a chance. Yeah, but I don't care. It was, you know, it was I like McLaren. the guy who won it. Did you see the guy got in last? He, he, he's yeah. like with a team Young that hardly American has it. Yeah, doesn't hardly have any money Young at American all. American guy, it's his first IndyCar race. Over. Yeah, got you know chewing gum and spit. Got his car together and got went out there and beat him out. Well, I tell you, if you start thirty third at the Indianapolis five hundred and finish thirty third or drop out on the first lap and end up thirty third, you're still making big bank compared to most car races. Yeah, and after making the money, you can say I was in the Indianapolis five hundred, the race of all races. You bet, you bet. That is a great race. Have you ever been to it? I still I, AJ I saw AJ Foyt win his fourth. Okay. Wow, been, I'd like to be there that times. day. And, and I saw that, that, I saw that same car 30 years later. I saw that same car at Mid-Ohio uh, in a static display when I was at the Mid-Ohio IndyCar right? race in uh, in 07. 
Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, the museum, if you've never been to Speedway, Indiana, which is right outside of Indianapolis, well, well worth a trip. go to, the, go to the, the track. Number one, the track will blow your mind because it is huge. It's two and a half miles long, folks. It's huge. It is monstrous. You don't realize because you watch TV, you think it's not all that big. It's huge. It's there's, enormous. There's 350,000 people there on race day. Go to the museum. Like, I got to go three like years ago for the first time. I got cool, to go three years it? ago. I'm a lifelong AJ Foyt fan, I guess because we both went by initials or something. But yeah. <laughs> but I've always been an AJ Foyt fan, so I got to go to the museum and got to see the first car with the first rearview mirror from 1912. And uh, no, it was 1911. Uh, 1911. Ray Haroon's Wasp. That's right. The first <laughs> the Marlin Wasp. The Boy, walking this, historian. No yeah. doubt. And that's, wow. That was that was his big advantage was because he had a rearview mirror. He didn't have to have a riding mechanic to tell him when it was safe to change lanes and that extra weight advantage meant that he made fewer pit stops and was actually able to average 75 miles an hour in that first indy 500 yeah Yeah. all the great names andy granatelli and all the folks that were there and uh i'm sure who was the one uh, rick mears uh, that was there, and he went up on top of the wall. Do you remember my, that? I do. You know, Rick Mears is still the all-time pole winner with six. My favorite story is where they come up with all new cars, and uh, they were all from overseas, and Penske was afraid that they weren't going to be successful. So uh, Unsler Sr. was there without a ride. Unser? Yeah. yeah Unser, and he what had a, a family name. They went and he got a car out of a hotel. Yeah. yeah, they went and got a car out of the hotel because it was one of last year's cars <laughs> yeah. that had been on display at a hotel. Penske says, I don't think these new cars are going to make it. So he puts Sr. They put Senior in a car that had been at a hotel for a year yeah, and ended up winning the race. That was his oh, fourth wow. win, I think. Won his fourth race yeah. out of a car that had been at the hotel. Yeah, it was in 1988, driving an 87 right street, March. Yeah. It's right down the street. Yeah. I don't think they stay there the way they used to now. Those so, guys make way too much money. You talk about a great man. He saw something coming down the tracks that he didn't like the looks of, so he put he put a plan B in place mm. to take care of it, and, and it paid off. Did what he had to do to win. That's All right, right, Carl, we'll let you get out. Thank you so I'll, much, Dave. I appreciate the invitation. Two, I'll keep these two infidels here with me to finish up the show. Thank you very much for coming in today, Carl. Always Enjoy a great good addition to, see you, to the power panel. We'll take a last break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back for a few moments in a moment. All right, back with you. Dave Ellswick Show. We've got about uh, five minutes, guys, with us. Uh, our thanks to Carl Kimball, uh, Kimball for coming in and joining us today. Uh, Chanel Insurance, name of his company, if you want some insurance. He's a good guy to, to talk to. Had insurance with him for years and years and, and years. So uh, just know that he does a fantastic job. Very smart guy as well. You Get in a discussion with him about history. Unbelievable. He has a degree in history. Yes. Sit back. Medieval history. Medieval history. Wow. Uh, Sit back and know that you're going to learn a lot of stuff from him. You really do. I learn from him all the time. I love having lunch with him or dinner and just sitting and and talking or getting over to his house and uh, having an adult beverage and listen to a little uh, music like the Mothers of Invention or whatever and and talking music with him. He's a big music guy. He loves well, rock and roll. Indianapolis 500 fan. Well, I he, can guarantee you he that. He likes open wheel racing. He used to do some racing himself, didn't he? Himself, yeah. yeah, he was up there in, uh, in the Glen 
where he would Watkins Glen. Yeah, 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 that's a beautiful track. He would get up there and and race and stuff. And he was, uh, I guess he he worked. What are they called? Stewards, the guys that work at the track. He was a race steward mm-hmm. as, as well. Really, he's a very interesting guy. If you ever can get him cornered somewhere, first of all, say you heard him on my show, so he's just not <laughs> afraid of you. And then go ahead and ask him questions. He'll stand there and talk to you for a long time if you want to. No problem whatsoever. What do you have planned for this uh, Memorial Day weekend coming up there, Mr. R.D.? Well, I'll just be taking it easy. And uh, usually the uh, American Legion will have uh, some type of memor- of a service sure. for a memory. Remember the people that served. And I'll probably go to the American Legion post there you in have the service right there amongst the flag they usually have it at the community that? center okay. there by the flag poles there at the community center right. so i'm sure they're doing that again this year i'll go to that and take it easy uh uh starting next wednesday i'm going on a two-week vacation i'll let you wow. i'll let you know so starting next wednesday i'll be gone for two weeks we're going to uh to uh, Ireland, Scotland, and oh, you are yeah oh, oh wow. fantastic the emerald isles huh? yeah so uh We'll go over there and see the piece of Europe. Okay, is that an area that you're interested in, or just you want to see it because you've seen it before and you think it's beautiful? My wife is a is a history history buff, and okay. she studies medieval history, and she knows about all the castles in Europe and who who built the castles and everything. So she else. wants to see what walls. So she wants really to go over to, there, huh? and there's <laughs> there's a, a group of auto recyclers that go on a trip every year before the convention. So it's a bunch of fellow auto, auto yeah. recyclers. So we'll have a chance to sit around and talk, talk shop nice. and uh, and uh, hang out with oh, some cool. so people is, that we know. So Ireland and um, Scotland, Scotland. So those and, are those are both <laughs> basically part of part of the island of England, right? Well, yeah, they yeah, were. They were. They, well, yeah, they're, 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 they're adjoined. They're, yeah, they're, 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 they will use that word very strongly. They're in that glob. <laughs> they're in that glob of land that's about thirty thirty miles offshore of the of Europe. Right. right. So my wife is is from that area, and she's researched her history a little bit, and. Uh, so she's been doing some research on that. She's adopted, but she's still uh, oh, wow. she's uh, found some of her ancestors and wow. doing very, some research. Very, so very cool. I'm going because that's where uh, Mama wants to go, and uh, mm-hmm. and that's her thing. I'd just as soon go to the Ozarks and sit on the creek <laughs> bank. Probably if she's listening, I'll be in trouble. But that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. What, what do you, you like hanging out with her? Me? Where, where are you going to be doing you over know, the Memorial I, Day? Weekend? I don't know for sure yet. I may take a sailboat out and kind of. Hang out in the lake, lake Mom L. Um, no, if I go, it, it, it may end up being up in Greer's Ferry. Oh, okay. But I never actually sailed on Lake Mom L. I, I know it's I know a lot it's of a, place it's, people it's do a, it. I know it's a sailing lake that a lot of people do, but I, I I've never put a put a boat in the water out there. Well, while you guys are doing your thing, I'm going to do my thing. All right, I'm getting with my buddies, uh, Mark and and Kelly, and then my wife and Linda, and we're going to all. Head over to New Orleans for the weekend. All I'm, right, I'm looking forward to it. I've I've been through New Orleans, you know, hundred times. Catch a cruise ship or mm-hmm. or to make a connecting flight or something. <laughs> yeah. But this would be the first time I've gotten over there and just kicked around. So I I kind of want to go over to the World War II Museum, and and uh, uh, Carl was saying across the street is the uh, Confederacy Museum. I'd be happy to go see that. I'm going to go see Jean Lafitte's homestead. Huh. 
and everybody mm, history okay. for you. 1812, in the Battle of 1812, he was instrumental in helping America defeat the British. So mm. I want to go see that. And uh, I'm, uh, Mark and Kelly, it's their 23rd wedding anniversary, so I'm taking them to dinner. Nice. I'm taking yeah. them to Emerald Lagazzi's Del Monaco well, Steakhouse. you guys have a great so time. We'll go over there and check it out. Bam. All right, let's take a final <laughs> break here before the news. Well, we're coming up on the news. And then coming back to Bible Guys, Bible Guys at SalemLR.com. If you still have a question you want to send in, do it now. And gentlemen, have a great weekend. All right, let's get to it. Bible Guys are here. Uh, first, I, I got a question from one of our listeners. They had three questions, and I must have deleted it. That's mm-hmm. all I can figure out what I did. And I've got to figure out a way to get these set up so that when they come to Bible Guy, which they do, it doesn't just end up in my folder as a Dave Ellswick question because if it was Bible guys, then I would keep it in a folder yeah. and that I'd have them all the time. Uh, so let's go with him first, and I've got two of them. First was he wanted to talk, you to talk about the interview with Brother Andrew mm-hmm. last week mm-hmm. and the uh, <coughs> untangled scripture the twisted, book. yeah. You know, it was a twisted yeah. scriptures or whatever. And uh, he said it was very obvious that you both had different viewpoints mm-hmm. and that you did not agree. And let me just right. say that I didn't agree with the guy. I came close to calling him a heretic, okay, <laughs> i just be honest with you. But uh, Scott was doing such a good job, I shut up. In fact, I sent I sent a message to the um, to Regnery Publishing and said that I thought they should have uh, they should pub- the publicity on that book should be a little bit different because it's about hyper grace and yep. you should wor- you should warn people before they came on and I said I hope you listen to the uh, the discussion and they did and he thought you did a magnificent job wow. he thought you were fantastic well I'm I'm blessed to hear that so the question was yeah. and I think it's a legitimate one. Somebody who's listening, not maybe not a believer, or maybe is a believer and a young believer, who's right and who's wrong, and how do you determine it? Right. Well, um, two plus two can only equal four, so you can't have one one thing that's right for you and something that's right for somebody else. I think they have this phrase that we say now. Uh, a lot of people say, um, "What is that phrase?" They say, "It's your truth." I got to right. find my truth. Yeah, yeah my right. truth. Got to find my truth. And so uh, you take that mentality into the scripture, and now two plus two can be seven for you, and five for me, and four for somebody else. So, but in the reality, no, there's one right answer to the question. Uh, and uh, and so yes, we did have some, um, we did have very strong dif- differences of opinion. Um, but there can only be one right uh, answer. And his position was uh, that the the law of God is no longer um, applicable to our life anymore. Like the Ten Commandments, uh, right, right? The Ten Commandments, uh, and um, and and so from that position, you have to ask yourself. I, I look at it this way: uh, Jesus is the premise, so everything has to filter through Him. So if He makes a statement, then that is perfect theology right everything else has to be pushed through it so if paul says something that seems to be different than jesus then i try to push paul's statement through perfect theology which is jesus And if it doesn't fit 
then I'll put it on the shelf and I assign it as not understood yet. Right. It's, right. it's not in conflict with right. Jesus. It can't because it's by the same Holy Ghost. I just don't understand it as opposed to saying, like most people, and unfortunately like the author, if they disagree, you throw Jesus out and keep Paul and take the um, the abstract version of a concrete thought. And, uh, and you can't do that. Jesus said very clearly, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, he said, don't even think I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. Now, here's the problem with that. Not only do we think it, but we teach it. That's and what we that write guy was doing. Right. Well, and we live that way. And we live it. We live that way. Yeah, but Jesus said, don't even think this. Now, the problem is, if you start thinking it, and you read the Bible, you're going to pull out something very different than what he meant. The next verse goes on to say this. Whoever, whichever one of you keeps my law and teaches men to do so will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever of you does not keep it and teach men not to keep it will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, everything has to be pushed through that filter. And if these things these guys are saying cannot pass muster when it comes to the words of Jesus, then it has to be wrong. Right. Paul's not wrong. It's just our inability to synthesize Jesus and Paul is it's our inability to do that. It's not that either one of them are wrong. Jesus is but if you had to choose, you yeah. better choose Jesus. You better choose Jesus. Just so, right. You better choose now, Jesus. Correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I think even these guys that are preaching hyper grace mm-hmm. I believe that they think that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Yeah. All right. So thus, when I hear you mention that one scripture, you teach this, they're going to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. If you do this other thing, you're going to be the least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Didn't say that it make heaven, just said you're going to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's true. I think that if you... They have their salvation. Right. If you name Jesus and you accept him as as a Savior... you know, this is a hard question because it says you have to accept him as – you have to confess him as Lord. Mm-hmm. Remember at the end of time when Jesus separates the goats and the sheep, he yep. puts them in his hands, and he, and he says to one group, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And that word iniquity is an old word. If you put that word iniquity into the Greek, which is where it came from, it's the word anomian. And which means? Which means against the law. Right. Okay. So nomos is the Greek word for law. Ah is the word like anti. It's opposition to. So he's saying working iniquity is people who are working lawlessness. And so he's saying, but what do they say? Lord, didn't we do this in your name and do this in your name and do this in your name? He says, I'm sorry, but you worked lawlessness and I don't even know who you are. Right. So Yes, if you accept it's Jesus, it's a precarious place to be. It, it is. is. It if is. you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's both. He is your Lord, which means you follow His rules and do things His way, which is contained in His law, and He is your Savior. But if you say, "I want the Savior bit, but I reject His Lordship in my life," um, and people wouldn't say it that way, yeah. But but it's 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 not as clean cut. So as we left from last week. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have your best thoughts later because mm-hmm. yeah, you keep running over yeah, the sure. argument. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking, because he kept saying, since you don't have to follow the Ten Commandments because Jesus lives in you now and he'll lead you in, in righteous living. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, it just dawned on me. It was like, well, 
then Jesus living in you is going to teach you the Ten Commandments. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why wouldn't you believe yeah. the Ten Commandments? Because I, mean, I don't get it. One of the last things he says was, Jesus would never lead me to steal. And yeah, I, that's, and, yeah. And I said, oh, and, and, after, and again, after I was thinking, I said, I was thinking to myself, so Jesus is leading you to keep the Ten Commandments. Right. Right. If he's that's not right. leading you to Absolutely. steal, he's leading you not to steal, which means he's leading you to keep the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. Part of the problem that we have is we've a We've divorced a lot of the – we use all this language, righteousness and sin, and the problem is that over the last 1,800 years, 1,700 years or so, we've divorced a bunch of that from its underlying meaning. Um, when we talk about righteousness, we talk about being in right standing. What is it we're in right standing with? Well, we're in right standing with God and the law. Mm-hmm. Um, if we try to pull the law out of that and then still claim righteousness, how do you do that? How do you define sin without the law? Since sin is the act of missing what the law required, when we divorce these things from their underlying concepts, suddenly ended up with this mess like well, I can't, I had to deal with last week where, um, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I don't want to follow his rules and I don't really care what he had to say when he walked on earth because what he said was keep my law. So how is he your Lord and Savior? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't quite understand. You know, I make the joke all the time, particularly about that verse where I said, you know, Scripture tells us that I, I, you're getting a new name at some point, and I'm just hoping that when Jesus walks up to me and hands me my stone with my new name on it, the name on it is not leased. I, I'm just trying to avoid that altogether. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be leased in the kingdom of heaven when I get there. Oh, yeah. So, All right, so let me move away from that. Sure. And, again, if you recognize the questions that we're asking, please email me the third question you had. I got two of them remembered it uh, he was talking about hebrew yeah and he said when you think of poetry you think of words rhyming mm-hmm. and in uh, you know english that's the case yeah but in scripture like with uh, you know the proverbs and things of that nature uh or in the psalms that are are hebrew poetry that Hebrew, the, the last words don't tend to, to, to rhyme the same way. Right. And could you explain that? And then lastly, in that same question, he said, and I heard that Hebrew doesn't have adjectives. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you direct uh, you know, sure. your, yourself to that? Okay. Uh, to the poetry, um, uh, there are several po- books in the Bible that are called poetic books. They're, they're, they're Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, um, Proverbs. Uh, the book of Job is also a poem. Song of Solomon is a poem. Um, so um, when you when you look at these you and you see that think them as poetry, t- typically we have a tendency of thinking and we have a rhyming thing. But in Hebrew, it's true. It doesn't rhyme the same way we rhyme. Um, in Hebrew, they can have a certain type of sound to them, um, but it's not a rhyming sound. Typically, Hebrew poetry works like this. They say the same thing as many different ways as they can. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I said, um, okay, so you live in, you live, uh, where do you live, Dave? You live in Cabot? Cabot. Okay. Ocean. So if I said this, if I said, um, I went north, I went to Cabot, and I went to Dave's house. All three of those things are true from here. Uh-huh. And so that's the way they would rhyme. They would say the same statement as many ways as possible to indicate the same meaning. Okay. And that's their way of rhyming or what their way of poetry. So just a different way of looking at it. Yeah, but well, it doesn't rhyme like, you know, uh, what rhymes with banana, what rhymes with microphone, right. that type of thing. And we okay. also have to understand that a lot of poetry that's written in English doesn't rhyme either. Um, poetry has a lot more to do with um, the way language is laid out than necessarily rhyming. Uh, most of the epic poems don't rhyme. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So 
We'll move on beyond that. Oh, and, and adjectives. Yes, the Bible, the, the Hebrew is full of adjectives. I yeah. don't know why okay. anybody would think that. But yeah, but yes, there are lots and lots and lots of adjectives. The thing about adjectives is you have to you have to marry adjectives with the noun that they modify. So right. um, if you if you have a, you know, if you have a, well, yeah, it's a lot too much to get. It's a grammar, but yes, there are adjectives. Yeah. All so, right. That's all. All right. You answered your question. Yes, I did. There are adjectives. <laughs> there are adjectives. Yes. All right. Rachel asked two questions. First, did the Catholic Church give us the canon of Scripture that we have today? Okay. In a word, no. Um, the um, the canon was more or less uh, by the end of the second century. So we're looking at um, you know at the end of the the one hundreds. Um, the the letters that were being collected for. Um, for use in churches was pretty well established with the exception of maybe just two or three books. So um, they had more or less collected all these letters of the apostles and had them together. And they weren't in a quote book as we know it today, but they had the letters. So, so these same collection of letters were being circulated. So the Bible was pretty much well gathered together. What happened is at the council of Nicaea, uh, went on, was it the Council of Nicaea? Yes, 325. Yeah, in, in Nicaea, they basically said, as all the bishops in the empire, they basically said, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and, and put in writing that we are approving of right. of all these these letters that have already been collected. So they didn't give us uh, the Bible, no. So it wasn't, you know, this group of um, people sitting around deciding. Plus, also, there was no Catholic Church in, right. in, in right. 325. So. Right. So even if the Council of Nicaea did it, it still wouldn't have been the Catholic Church because there, there was not a Catholic Church at that point. Now, there was a Catholic Church in the sense the word Catholic means universal, yes. right? but there was not a denomination. So, uh, But the, the letters were more or less already being passed from church to church in a collection, and that collection had already happened at the end of the uh, at the end of the second century, beginning of the first century. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of what they did do there was eliminate some works that were being circulated kind of in a minority in some churches mm-hmm. that they looked at and went, eh, that doesn't doesn't really fit the tone and tenure and doesn't actually appear to be authored by the individual that it claims to have been authored by. Yeah, there were some books that were uh, kind of making their way alongside the rest of the apostolic like the writings. book of Thomas? Nope, that one was uh, quite a bit later, but, yeah, okay. but books like that, though. Okay. Um, there was a, um, but for example, I have church members who come to me and they'll say, they'll give me an article and say, Pastor, I printed this off the internet. Yeah. Can you tell me if this is any good? And I'll look at it and I'll say, throw it away. Yep. Now what the and that's basically what the council did. The council said these are all the letters that are being circulated by the by the churches. These are all authenticated. They're real. But here's a handful of them that are also being circulated. And they looked at them and what they did was they compared those circulating ones to the ones that they knew were from the apostles. <coughs> and they said there's too many contradictions. These right. can't be right. right. Okay. So let's not let's not deal with those. And so so by process of elimination, that's how they kind of came right. up with what's the word canon actually means rule. So it's kind of a rule they set. Right. If these books match this, then we keep them. And so the rule, that's the word for canon, and the rule was they got to match these apostolic letters. If they don't, we put them to the side. Hey, and by the way, part of what they used was whether or not it matched in tone and tenure with the original testament. You are so, such an extremist. You know, I, <laughs> now I will tell you. Um, with the original testament, you're talking about the, the old, old testament. testament. Yeah. Okay. The old testament. Go figure. Um, <laughs> they were checking current writings that they had at the time versus what was known to be 
scripture that they were living by, uh, i.e. the Old Testament. So it's amazing that we've come so far from that. And now we'll say um, that the, the assuming you're not Catholic, uh, the Bible you've got in your hands today, the King James, New King James, something that was built off of that, um, was changed as recently as 1893. Something like uh, that. 1893, 1880, something. Um, there, there have been relatively recent modifications um, to what we would consider the canon of Scripture today. Yeah. All right. Last question before we go on break. Does the Hebrew calendar correspond to ours? If not, what year is it in Israel? Uh um, no. no. <laughs> okay, a no first. No, it does not correspond to uh, ours on a couple of levels. Number one, um, we use a – here, that is in the U.S., we use a solar-based calendar. Uh, the Bible is a lunar uh, calendar. So God set the phases of, of the months on the moon, and we set the uh, the way the calendar works based upon the, the summer sol- – the solstice, the way the sun um, – uh, the fullness of the sun, the way it rises and sets. So, no, uh, that's why. Um, in that's why sometime, uh, you know, you're although you know you celebrate Christmas. It's on December twenty fifth every year, but one year it's a Monday, and next year it's a Tuesday. It can flip all around. Um, that's why sometimes Passover and Easter are yep. the same so time. The same week. Sometimes they're a month apart. Right. Well, how do they get to be a month apart? It's because you cannot synthesize the two calendars for the most part. No, you can't. Right. Okay. And the New Year's are different. Uh, the, our New Year's is in January. The biblical New Year is in uh, is in the spring. I think we might have some disagreement between Stephen on that, but nonetheless, uh, we have it. They're different, so no, you can't synthesize them. Uh, there's 365 days in our calendar. There's 254 days in the Hebrew calendar, and it is the year uh, 5,778 in Israel right now. Okay. Now, and we we have to understand that we know for a fact that that date is missing some years. So if you're trying to say, because the mind, <clears throat> assuming you're thinking that way, your mind will immediately jump to, oh, well, it must be 5,779 years since creation. And you would be thinking correctly. However, we know for a fact that that calendar is missing some 250-ish Not sure, but something years. like that, yeah. So there, there's a huge chunk of years where the calendar simply wasn't kept up with and then... Because the Jews were exiled to Babylon, right. and now so they 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 lost some of that. All right. When we come back, Billy, you had a uh, question from a listener that I'll let you bring mm-hmm. forth, and then uh, we'll come back and talk about some other questions as well. And I'll see if I don't get an email from the person that I forgot one yet. Let's take a break. We'll be w- back with more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. <laughs> Hey, don't forget now, if you need to get your uh, gutters cleaned out, that all you need to do is go to piroofing.com. They've uh, purchased Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services, so they'll clean out your gutters uh, too, as well as take care of your roof with their great comprehensive roofing. And on top of that, any kind of repairs that are necessary because of leaks, they got their great home repair expertise for you as well. So if you're having problems at your home because of leaks or your roof needs to be fixed or your gutters need to be cleaned know that the professionals at pi roofing and home solutions can take complete care of you all you have to do is go to their website the website has all the information you need piroofing.com that's piroofing.com back in a moment all right we are back we're with the bible guys scott stewart is here (coughs) 
Billy Miller here. Both of them are preachers. Scott, of course, Agape Church, 701 Napa Valley Drive, Little Rock, Sunday service time, 10 a.m. Their website, aclr.org. And let me just say right now, thanks to uh, Pastor Scott and the folks at Agape Church for letting us use their parking lot over last weekend during the uh, the Greek uh, Annunciation, is that their thing, church, mm. and Greek Fest, because I love Greek Fest. Mm-hmm. I still got me some baklava. Oh, so you went to left. it? Yes, I went right. on Saturday. Okay. It's a beautiful day for it. Could I go ahead and can I say something real quick? Yeah. Um, yeah. The... Um, uh, Agape Church, we're actually celebrating our 40th anniversary. We've been celebrating our. Four- I didn't know that. Yeah, yep. we've been celebrating our 40th anniversary um, all month long, and um, this coming Sunday is our last kind of celebratory uh, meeting, and we have a special guest uh, speaker. Uh, his name is Keith Moore. He's a pastor in Branson, uh, Missouri, and um, I'm sure many of you who listen to me might uh, know who um, Pastor Keith is. So I just want to encourage everybody to come along. It's our last kind of big uh, uh, hoopla hoopla before uh, the festivities um, uh, die down. But also go ahead and throw out a quick invite on the 9th of June, which is Shavuot or Pentecost uh, Sunday. Um, we're having a big to-do at our church. If you'd like ice cream, if you like um, sweets, uh, that'd be a place to be. Oh, that's right. We've got, uh, we'll be serving uh, ice cream to all, everybody after church. We've got a snow cone truck that's going to be on the parking lot. It's a big day to celebrate uh um, that um, that God gave us His law, He gave us His Spirit, wrote it on our hearts, and so we have a big ice cream social, a big ice cream social. And the reason we do that, synagogues all around the world, what they do is they only eat dairy products on that day: cheesecake, chocolates, uh, ice cream. Uh, and because the reason why they only eat dairy products is because the rabbis say that uh, they say on this day we are born again, and only babies babies only eat milk or dairy. So that's why they only. Eat dairy products yeah, yeah. so even our phrase of being born again uh is not unique uh it's everything we have is judaic and so we celebrate that and that'll be on june 9 10 o'clock is where we at that's yeah. where we start all right let's move to the questions again i'm going to do ask this one because it's going to take the longest for you to answer all okay right? how did the church get so far behind from the early church so how did the modern day church get so dis connected from the early church yeshua went about teaching and preaching and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil and he gave power to the disciples to go in his name heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers this was what they were to do even after yeshua descended to heaven how did the body of yeshua who was once so full of power become so dead that in a lot of ways were no different than the world Example, there are those who say healing isn't for today, and tongues have passed away, even speaking half-truth about the Scripture. How have we gotten so dead to the Word and what Yeshua commanded us, the body of Christ, to do? Wow. That's a pretty straight, hard question. And it it really could it could be a whole seminar to how we, get, we mm. got here because there's so many moving parts to it. Um, I think Billy would uh, uh, agree. Uh, Pastor Steve, he's just uh, finishing up um, teaching uh, church history uh, too uh, at the uh, the college, and he covers a host of uh, of um, heresies and things that came into the church. And um, but if we start in the very beginning, what happened is um, have you ever heard of a group called the Gnostics before? Oh yeah, yeah. So after the after the gospel began to be preached. 
um, what happened like in anything else, the enemy tries to sow things in. Remember how Jesus even said that the enemy, uh, he said a sower goes out to sow. And he says, but, the en- but an enemy came along and sowed tares among the wheat. And so that's so, a weed, the weed. Yeah. So what happened basically is that the enemy came along and began to sow into uh, the body um, false teaching for the purpose of deceiving like he always, uh, always has. And uh, a major teaching rose up uh, that were the Gnostics. And it was basically a lot of um, false teaching related to um, Gnostics believe all things related to the body were bad and evil. Mm-hmm. Only spiritual things were important. And so they kind of imported what's called platonic dualism, where everything about the flesh was bad, and so the flesh was irrelevant. And so if the flesh is irrelevant, then healing isn't really that important, because what's really important is to get free of this prison you live in called your body and right. set your spirit free. And so so the physical things begin to be diminished, such as healing. Why pursue healing? It, you know, Your sickness is a means to, to be free of your, your body. Then it moved on over into... Um, a guy named Marcion, and, and, and Marcion was a guy, there's a lot of heresy here, uh, Marcion was a guy who really thought all the Old Testament was irrelevant, and he wanted to get rid of all of that. Wow, that's yeah, that kind of, kind of, kind of very relevant today. Yeah. <laughs> very comfortable today. So he, he actually um, presented his idea to the main to the church, and he said, here's my idea, let's cut out all the Old Testament, only take the New Testament scriptures. Got a good God and a bad God. Right. The church branded him a heretic. Uh, and kicked him out of the church, so he went down the road and started his own church, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, and then it kind of gets really rolling. Then Constantine rolls in, and Constantine says, "You know what? We're going to have nothing in common with the Jewish people anymore. Right. We're not going to celebrate Passover. We're going to celebrate Easter. We're not going to." So he he made it. You're going to work on Saturday, but we're going to create a law where you can't work on Sunday. So he began to he began to strip the church of its Judaic root. Uh, building on top of all this other stuff that was around. He imported all kinds of paganism from around the empire into the church, and that becomes the seed that eventually became the fruit that robbed us of our shadows, healing people, and so forth. So Constantine, was he one of the Caesars who thought himself God? No. Well, most of the Caesars would get temples built to themselves and would uh, proclaim themselves to be God. I don't know if Constantine ever did that. Constantine was a follower of the sun god Mithra. He, uh, I don't know if he ever promoted himself. Maybe the Senate did after he died. I don't remember, but uh, but normally they did it while so they were Constantine alive. Constantine did not accept Jesus Christ. Well, according to <laughs> according to the history, he did. Okay. Um, he saw a he had a big battle coming up, and. Um, he uh, he saw a a red cross appear in the sky on the sun was setting. He saw this big red cross, and he he either I don't remember he either heard or he saw words on the sky that said "Under this sign, conquer." And so he went out, painted that big red cross on the tunics of his soldiers. Under that sign, he conquered. He went out and he won this great battle. I think it was called the the Battle of the Milvan Bridge, where he actually takes over and wins a great victory that allows him to establish. Um, the um, the eastern side of the um, of the empire, and so that was a cross. Of course, supposedly the cross of Christ. So he supposedly becomes a follower of Jesus, and then he begins to he makes Christianity legal, and everything that was pagan he now turns into a church. There was a pagan temple. He says, "You're no longer a pagan right. temple. You're now a church." And so he just turned them into churches. So in that way, so I could see where yes. things could have gotten all bald. Absolutely. Up. Well, and it, and it goes further than that. Um, why do we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, on December the 25th? Because that was the birth of this mythical figure called Mithra. 
So a lot of what we see today, uh, this replacement that has happened within the church of, of pagan festivals that have replaced our Hebraic festivals, a lot of that comes right straight out of what he did uh, by traveling around because he would he would just go in and say, okay, you're all Christian now, but you don't have to change. Whatever whatever you were doing before, we'll just slap the name of Jesus on top of it and we'll keep it. So Easter, um, Christmas, a, a lot of these things that we adopted and today are, are a normal part of our Christian culture that came out of the heresy of what was going on that he created in that time. So. And it just causes us to gradually lose touch with the word. And of course, the word is power and we begin to eventually lose our faith. Now, I will say this. I can't, I can't tell you whether or not Constantine truly had a conversion experience in his heart. Uh, he never did. Uh, he didn't get baptized until his deathbed. Right. For some reason, he decided to wait. Uh, and, but he did get baptized on his deathbed. So, was he a Christian or was he not? That's in the justice of God. I can't. I can't say one way or the other. But um, he certainly was a, uh, a man who tried to unite his empire under uh, the faith. Right. Uh, but the way he went about it, he did a lot of harm. Did a lot process. of harm. Yeah. yeah. Now I will say. Um, the question was, why don't we see these miracles like we were seeing? Then why don't we see the power that we saw back then? Um, we have to go back to the beginning of the book of Acts and look to see why that power is poured out. That power is poured out so that they could be witnesses to the Messiah. They could be witnesses to what had happened. Um, and even today in countries that are not well churched in countries where there are missionaries out in the field we still see miracles i still see reports every day of miracles on foreign soil Mm -hmm. Um, people being raised from the dead people receiving sight people who are crippled getting up and walking we still see that in church in places where the church has not had a lot of penetration why because that is a testimony to the power of god however here in america where everyone who wants to hear about christ has heard about christ and there's no there's no need in this day and age to have Christ proven to us through the power of his works because it has already been done on this soil. Just look. We just don't see it. We've become <laughs> too comfortable. Yeah. Um, now, that, that being said, we know that God still is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Absolutely. We've, we've even seen, even recently at our church, we've seen uh, a, um, a, a blind lady. Uh, she's blind in one eye. Her, her sight completely restored. Wow. Yeah. We saw another lady who had been diagnosed. She, her, her vision was getting shorter and shorter. The doctor said, you're eventually going to go blind. Now her sight is actually increasing. It's yep. completely reversing itself. Uh, the Lord is still doing wonderful things. <coughs> but he's looking for, he's looking for, he's looking for people who are going to believe his word and, and what he said. Absolutely. So uh, we, we have incredible things that are going on, but uh, you've got to reconnect yourself to, um, to the source. Okay. And, and I think the other thing there, are, are we short time? Yeah, go ahead. I think the other thing there is we have to understand that um, what we're reading in the book of Acts and what we're reading about these miracles happening, this is a very long period of time and the recording of a very narrow few days within that time. So it may seem like there's a, a miracle or 10 happening on every page of the book of Acts, but in reality, there's significant time passing between those events. All right, a break. We come back. We finish it up today with the Bible guys. All right, back with... Shh. Can't can't uh-huh. talk about that now. Uh-huh. Just like I can't talk about John Wick three. You're uh, right because I have not seen that. So. It's good, is it? It's better than one and two. Uh-huh. And they announced in 2021 John Wick four. Hey, uh, someone's got some secure job security. Yeah. All right. Hi, Pastor Scott. What is the Jewish context of Malachi three ten storehouse? 
If a church has no type of service for their city or community, is it still a storehouse? Well, the uh, the context of Malachi 3, uh, he is referring to the, uh, the temple. Um, there was a storehouse in the temple. Um, but um, the storehouse, what, what it... It served a couple of different purposes, but one of the things it did was it took care of the, um, the priest. Um, and um, and so, yes, you can see the storehouse at, a, at your local church as being a, a storehouse. It could be applied in that way. In a literal sense, it would have been um, the temple itself, um, but in a um, but in a um, um, an applied sense, it would be. Uh, where there is food, it says that there, that, there, that there may be meat in my house, saith the Lord. So, the place where you're receiving food and sustenance would be the place that would be considered your storehouse. You don't go and eat at uh, Burger King and go pay McDonald's. So right. you, you have a storehouse where there's meat in your house, and you send your money to make sure that it continues to function. One of the primary purposes of the of the storehouse was to um, to make sure the priests were maintained and were taken care of, uh, and uh, and that was a big job. Priests were only allowed to serve up into their 50s. Once they hit their 50s, they're supposed to retire. It was a tough job. Yes, it was. Yeah. Then from there, you became a itinerant priest or you went to um, back to your hometown. You became a teaching priest and you would teach people and so forth. But they were still maintained um, by the temple treasury. They were taken care of because they didn't, they didn't have job or land. And so they would uh, still get uh, maintained and taken care of. I got to tell you, a little testimony here. Mm-hmm. I had not been for a long time a, a tither, uh-huh. and I I was caught up in the whole thing. I didn't know ten percent and all yep. of that until I read this verse. Oh, really? And it said, "Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house." And then God says, "Test me mm-hmm. in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it." Yeah. After I began tithing, ten mm-hmm. percent. I mean, as soon as I see what my check is, I can tithe the New Life Church through uh, a text, yeah, and yeah. I tithe my money. Yeah, and since that time, I have never wanted yep. to pay anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not saying, amazing. not saying I got a new car or anything like that. But when I've ever had to fix the car, the money suddenly appears. Yep, yep. It's it's amazing. It really to, is. To, to, so to I God test the, the only place that God says, test Te- it's me. the only yep. place we say only test place. me. Go yeah. ahead. Test me. See what yeah. it's like. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and point out that also that the storehouse was, was never used as a uh, a food bank where right. people came right. in and got food. So, uh, the what do second, you mean? It second, wasn't communism? No, no, it wasn't. The second part of the question was, uh, you know, if, you don't, if your church isn't doing community things. Yeah. But the storehouse uh, of, of, the, of the temple was never used as a as a distribution center for taking care of the needs of the people. It wasn't used for that. Now, I will go so far as to say that if your church is not involved in its community and or doing outreach of some sort or serving some group of people, you you might want to look for a new church. You need to have some outreach. Um, There needs to be something going on. If your church is all about we four and no more and inside these four walls, um, that is not a healthy place to be necessarily. So I think our church has been going for like eight years and we've given $10 million to missions. That's yeah. beautiful. Makes, man. makes me feel proud. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't be, but it's a good proud. It's yeah. the right proud. Mm-hmm. It is the right proud. All right. So last week there was a question from Marty. He said, um, 
in reference to Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 through 53, which I'll read very quickly. Um, it says, it's talking about Jesus on the cross, and it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And his question was what are these people doing in the city and what happened to them? How's that? That's good. And the answer is? Well, I think the answer is that, um, so uh, we have to start off with this is all opinion and conjecture because Scripture simply does not say. Um, I can tell you they're not still walking around today, so eventually they went back into the grave just like Lazarus did. Um, as for what they were doing, um, they are... If, if Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, then they are immediately next, right? So I suspect they are providing testimony. These are, these are saints. They would have been people who were known uh, by their community who are now testifying about Jesus. That is the only reason to bring people back uh, like that back. So I suspect they were providing testimony to um, the witness of who Jesus was at that moment. Um, and then eventually they went back into the grave. I would agree. There, right. there, I mean, there isn't any. There's there's nothing that tells us what they uh, what they did. However, if I'm not mistaken, they came out of the graves when he died, not at his resurrection. Um, Is that not right? It says after his resurrection, as I recall. Does it? Okay. Well, then then it would apply as far as the second and third. Uh, yeah, and fruits. coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into right. the holy city and appeared. Okay, very good. Yeah. All right. Could you explain how we are baptized into Moses's baptism? <laughs> Well, that's a big, uh, a big question. It's referring to a verse of scripture in First uh, Corinthians, um, and um, I'm, I'm from this, I'm thinking this is probably um, uh, someone who uh, has attended um, uh, my church um, during the feast of uh, Passover. I did a Passover series, and what I was doing is I was pointing out Jesus in um, in the Passover story, uh, how he was. Um, the Bible says he was the rock that followed the children of Israel. Uh, around and so forth. Uh, there's a verse of scripture that says that all our fathers um, were baptized into Moses. Okay. Uh, and so, um, and so the question now is, what is the baptism of Moses? What is it all about? And it refers it in particular to the part where they pass through the sea. Uh, and uh, so, the idea of being baptized into Moses would be um, related to the fact that everything related to that moment in time where we were becoming a part of. Uh, just like you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into the body of Messiah. We were being baptized, our forefathers were being baptized into, not Moses in particular, but what Moses was doing. Right. And what Moses was doing is he was bringing us to a place of the knowledge of God, in particular through revealing the commandments of the Lord um, to us. And uh, and so Jesus, Jesus as a, the the Moses said, there's, there's coming one like unto me, uh, a prophet like unto myself. So in the same way, we're baptize into the things of um, the things of Christ. It's a very, very short answer to a, a much bigger uh, answer that needs to be given. I don't think I have an adequate ability to, to deliver that right now. Okay, so we don't have another enough time to answer this, but I'm going to read the question, and we'll take it up first when we meet again next Tuesday. Okay. It's called uh, a tease, all right? All right. So you all know. <laughs> What's the reason why we should follow something's discussed in Leviticus, like the Feast, Sabbath, etc., but a lot of the other do's and don'ts we don't follow. Oh, yeah. So we'll talk about that next week here on The Bible Guys. 
Scott uh, Stewart is pastor at Agape Church, 701 Napa Valley Drive here in Little Rock. Sunday service time is 10 o'clock. You can hear more of what he preaches by attending one of his services. ACLR.org to tell you all about the church. And then uh, we've got... Uh, Billy Miller here. Are you preaching? I, I am, but you don't want to come to the place where I'm preaching because I preach at a maximum security prison, and oh, there's only okay. one way to hear me, and you don't want to be there. Well, I'll go well, this week. You're, this week you're somewhere else. So this I, week, no, I'm 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 leaving after. That, oh, I see. So. Okay. All right. So keep that all in mind, and hopefully Steve will be back next week. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I think so. I know. I know I people. So. I know people miss him. Yeah. Because I've been told. So anyway. We'll all be here on uh, next Tuesday, starting at 5 o'clock for the Bible Guys. Again, remember, you can send in your questions, and any question is accepted. You know, believer, non-believer, whatever. Another religion, we don't care. You send them in to BibleGuys at SalemLR.com. And I'll see you tomorrow, too. These guys will see you in a week at 5. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.